0: Welcome to The Dark Divide, a podcast that takes a seat, dangles its legs over the edge, and stares into the abyss. This is the story of the Craigslist killer. Megan closed her eyes and soaked up the sunlight beaming through the windshield of the car. Massachusetts in April was such a beautiful time. The brisk air leaning into a mild Monday afternoon, and it felt like it was going to be a relatively stress-free week. She needed a little vacation away, and a night or two in Connecticut at the Foxwood Casino sounded perfect. The casino wasn't necessarily her first choice, just a preferred hobby of her fiancé Phil. He was so good, and somehow he always managed to walk out with the same amount of money he walked in with, or sometimes a little more. Even though they were both broke pre-med students, they jumped at the chance whenever Philip was offered discounted hotel stays while he gambled. Sometimes a free comedy show or pass for the spa would be included too. Megan would watch him play a few rounds of poker or have some fun at a slot machine, but mostly she was in it for the feeling of a getaway. Snuggling in a hotel bed and renting a movie after a fancy dinner out somewhere. It was nice to pretend that just for a little while they weren't living dollar to dollar, up to their necks in student loans. It felt like all they did was study and sleep. But this was just a rough patch that many people had to endure before making it into their actual medical career. Schooling is so expensive, so mentally demanding. It's common to meet students in the field who are broke, busy, and burnt out. But her fiancé, Philip seemed to have it all figured out. Even Megan's parents didn't bat a lash when they had announced their engagement. This tall, blonde, all-American boy had won their hearts almost immediately with his goofy charm and obvious ambition. At 23, he had already accomplished so much, and was heading into the direction of an extremely promising career. Someone with that kind of drive and success seemed to bring out the best in their daughter, and they wouldn't have to worry about either of them being taken care of with such a financially rewarding position. The beachside wedding would take place in Megan's hometown in New Jersey. It was just four months away, and she couldn't wait. They'd even made a website with a countdown and a quiz for all their friends and family to take, full of questions about the couple. What are you thinking over there, Pocket? Philip squeezed her hand from the driver's seat. She smiled at him, their mutual term of endearment still bringing the hint of butterflies to her stomach. Pocket Rockets are the best hand you can be dealt in Texas Hold'em poker, and that's what this love was to them, a winning pair of aces. When he looked at her, it felt like the whole world fell away, and she was aware that there were plenty of women who would give anything to have his attention the way she did, I'm just excited, Megan said. I was thinking about how soon the wedding is. It's right around the corner. She couldn't believe her luck, honestly. Sure, some of this was the payoff of hard work. She had known she wanted to be a doctor since she was a kid and worked her butt off for the grades to apply to medical school. But the Prince Charming stuff? That still seemed like an unexpected dream unfolding effortlessly. Philip was the best guy she'd ever met. And it was at that very moment that the blast of a police siren snapped her abruptly out of her daydream and right back onto Interstate 95. She turned to look at Phil, who had pulled off to the side of the road, expecting him to be just as confused as she was. But instead, she saw a look on his face that she'd never seen before. A hesitation. The slight weight of a burden. No. Megan corrected her thoughts, shaking them off. This has to be some sort of mistake. This was the man she was about to marry. She knew him better than the back of her own hand. So why did it seem that the entire Boston Police Department was so interested in talking to her fiancé? What did they know about Philip Markoff that she didn't? Growing up in a tiny town just east of Syracuse, New York, Philip Markoff wasn't the most street-savvy person in the world, but he was definitely book smart. Even from a young age, the impression he left on people was an ambitious one. His parents would divorce when he was a toddler, and even though he would live with his mother Susan full-time, Philip was still provided a wealth of opportunities and after-school activities. His older brother Jonathan would live with his father Richard, and he wouldn't have another sibling in the same house again until his sister was born after his mother remarried. Gary the banker was nice enough, but after several years, the outcome would be the same. Divorce and a sibling gone. Philip poured all of his energy into his studies, never really getting the full attention he deserved as a child. Even when he excelled, he often succeeded alone, having been dropped off by a parent and doing whatever thing it was all by himself. The casino atmosphere was something he'd been exposed to from a young age, after Susan started working at Turning Stone Resort selling cigarettes and aspirin at a kiosk. The electric energy of the room was something that instantly attracted Philip, and the second he was old enough, he learned how to master a few of the games. He loved Texas Hold'em poker. Even as a teenager, he was a pro at bluffing, anticipating the responses of others, and making skilled gambles. Philip's memorization skills served him well everywhere. He was a quick learner who can interpret difficult information faster than the average person. He wasn't the most popular guy in school, being seen as a Trekkie-type nerd, but he wasn't short on friends either. And even though he was quiet, he was extremely competitive with an intense drive to be the best at everything he did. Whether it was a testing class or the bowling team, he was always pushing himself. It surprised nobody when he consistently made honor roll and became a favorite to almost every teacher he had. Philip graduated high school as a member of the Youth Court, the History Club, and the National Honor Society, building up an impressive record with his sights set on pre-med. By college, he'd outgrown his geeky, awkward demeanor and carried himself with a confidence that was still boyish but assertive. He managed consistently high grades and dated around a lot, but Philip was intensely focused on his future career and still waiting to meet someone who fit that big picture. And when he wasn't disinterested, he was inept and entitled. After a night at the casino with a female friend once, Philip would push himself onto her after being rejected, which she chalked up to the alcohol he drank that night. Being the king of bluffing that he was, whenever they saw each other again after that night, he pretended as if nothing happened. And just when it seemed like things couldn't get any better for him, he met Megan McAllister while they were volunteering at the Albany Medical Center Hospital. The strawberry blonde girl next door was as equally smitten, and they started dating exclusively soon after. Philip was everything she'd dreamed of. She didn't just find him physically attractive. She admired his total dedication to being a doctor someday. Megan had spent her entire high school experience daydreaming about putting that white jacket on, intertwined with fantasies of a husband who could be her motivating equal. Although, Philip would get accepted into the Boston University School of Medicine, and Megan wouldn't. He sailed through pre-med with a fast-track determination that few could carry off as effortlessly as Philip had. He would take Megan to the casino, bonding with her over his favorite childhood memories, giving her the nickname Pocket, like a lucky ace hidden for when he needed it the most. Megan's parents were still together, and he loved the idea of that wholesome background, a good girl with good values who wouldn't abandon him. The divorce wound was real in Philip. Whether he wanted to admit it or not, it had dictated his incapability of true intimacy for so long— Megan had the same goals and the same vision. Neither of them seemed to think it was rushing things when he proposed to her. And as demanding as medical school was, they began to plan their wedding for August 14, 2009, right before Philip would start his third year. After applying to numerous places, Megan got accepted to a medical school in the Caribbean, and classes would start at the end of the same month they were getting married. She would be away for an entire 14 months, and then finish the rest of her program in the U.S., It wasn't the ideal honeymoon experience, but they'd see each other on breaks, and it would all pay off in the end. A lot of people who were close to Megan were a little surprised at the rush of everything. Some of her bridesmaids accepted her invite, not even having met Philip yet. But what could you say to someone who was beaming brighter than they ever had in their whole life? Megan was on cloud nine, and both of them were obsessed with the picture-perfect future that they had waiting Megan felt like she knew everything there was to know about her fiancé, Phil. But she didn't realize that his little hobby of blackjack and poker was actually a full-blown financial burden looming over their future. Philip was well over 100 k in debt, and sure, some of that was tuition and school loans, but only a small fraction— and the pressure of this was something that secretly gnawed away at him, as he'd listened to Megan list off plans to get a home, go on vacations, have a family. She'd purchased a Vera Wang wedding dress and matching bridesmaids gowns for their beachside reception. They secured the Bruce Springsteen cover band. Megan was busy planning a life full of the finer things. If she only knew how deep in the hole he was, she would lose her mind. Where the average person might turn to their partner for support, Philip would only work harder to maintain an illusion towards Megan. He needed her to think he was the perfect match for their perfect life. And strangely, around the time when he got engaged, it seems that Philip decided it was time to begin solving the issue of his debt. In February 2009, Philip purchased a Springfield Armory 9mm handgun using his own fingerprint and a fake ID that he'd found on campus while attending university. Under the name Andrew Miller, he walked out of the New Hampshire firearm shop, knocking over the first domino in a chain reaction of events that would soon spin his entire life out of control. Knowing Megan loved to snoop and having nowhere else to store it, he would hollow out a copy of Grey's Anatomy. The medical reference book is often considered the quote-unquote doctor bible, and since it was nothing special, Megan would never have a reason to open one of his copies. But Philip wasn't planning on robbing a bank or holding up a 7-Eleven at gunpoint. He'd just turned 23. This was to fix his messy life, not make things worse. Under the username sexaddict53885, he would post on Craigslist under the erotic services advertisements, He'd been in the casino world long enough to see things that go on there. The men with escorts on their arms, girls leaving hotel rooms after just a few hours. It was a chaotic world where this kind of thing wouldn't stick out. And he hatched a plan. Nobody would ever suspect someone like him. And who the hell would believe that type of woman anyway? He felt so confident that he could talk his way out of anything. And at one point he even purchased duct tape and zip ties while he was out shopping with Megan, who didn't even seem to notice. To say she was trusting of Philip was an understatement. He was a continuation of a very normal, very all-American girl-next-door type of upbringing. But there was one little blip that kept poking its ugly head up into her perfect plans. The chronic pain she continually suffered after a back surgery in 2007 made life so difficult at times. She was about to have another surgery, followed up with a slew of appointments. Since all of her doctors were back home in New Jersey, she'd be staying there for a few weeks to heal up. As great as Philip was, he didn't compare to Megan's mom and dad, who always wanted to make sure their little girl was healthy and comfortable. This exit would spark a perfect storm and give Philip a chance to try his idea and hopefully walk away with a good amount of cash. But even Philip didn't see the full extent of this decision coming. 29-year-old Trisha Leffler was in Boston for work, and of course, a little fun. She was only there for the night, and then it would be back to Las Vegas. Making your own schedule, doing what you want when you want, and going to fun places were some of the perks about escorting that she liked. She was making thousands a week, especially since she was willing to travel. It wasn't her forever plan, but it was good for now. She chose the perfect area in Boston where the big spenders usually stayed. After checking into the Weston Copley Hotel, she placed an ad in the erotic services section on Craigslist. Sweet young blonde in town for a short time, come relax with me. Within a few exchanges, she chose to meet Philip that night. They decided to meet at the elevator, so she could feel him out before letting him know what room she was in. There weren't many precautions a person could take in her position, but Trisha did them all. Although being your own boss meant you were usually your own protection. Regardless of whatever safety measures were put in place, this kind of arrangement was built upon risk. But when the elevator doors opened, nothing set off alarm bells. The way he was dressed made it clear that he was trying to keep it low-key, but that was nothing new she'd seen in clients. His boyish good looks and tall frame were surprisingly attractive, and even though he came across as nervous, his voice was instantly warm. Almost immediately after entering the room, Philip would make his true intentions known by drawing his gun and commanding her to lay down on the bed with her hands behind her back. As Trisha began to panic, she figured the best thing to do was follow instructions. She watched as Philip tucked the gun into his back pocket and put on some black leather gloves. He knelt behind her shoulder blades and used zip ties to fasten her wrists together. In a way, there was a small sense of relief. It didn't seem like he was there to rape or assault her, and he was oddly polite as he asked where her money was. He didn't curse, he didn't yell, and he was stern in his demands, but not threatening. Philip grabbed 800 in cash as well as a credit card and a few gift cards. "'Can I have your underwear?' he asked her. "'I mean, yeah, sure, you can take whatever you want, anything. Can you maybe just leave my ID so I can still get home?' and to her relief, he obliged, but he still made it a point to take her cell phone number from her phone and delete all of their exchanges. Unable to press the tiny buttons with his gloves on, he removed them to do so. Bold and unapologetic, Philip didn't seem too worried about the fact that she could identify him with crystal clear recognition. What are you doing? Trisha asked, watching Philip walk around the room as if he was searching. I'm looking for something to tie you to, he snapped. Philip didn't plan on killing Trisha, and he knew that her reporting him was inevitable, but he figured he'd be okay with some extra time. Taking her over to the bathroom, he tied her to the doorknob and shut her mouth with duct tape, all still without putting the gloves back on. Then he took a knife out of his pocket and cut the lines to the hotel room phone. Don't call anyone for at least 15 minutes, he commanded. Trisha nodded her head up and down emphatically, so he knew she was in full agreement. Her heart was pounding. Her hands were already tingling numb from the wrist restraints. She just wanted this over. And before she knew it, he was gone. It took her less than a minute to pull and wiggle herself free and open the door slowly, peering ever so slightly into the hallway, half expecting to see him still there, ready to catch her. But it was empty. She grabbed her room key and went to knock on a neighbor's door, frantically begging them to call security. Unfortunately, by the time the police showed up, Philip was already long gone, but they took everything she said seriously. In a world where women are often treated as if they've brought this crime upon themselves, Trisha was relieved to see that wasn't the case here. She'd heard horror stories of girls in similar positions as her who'd been shamed or even charged themselves, but they made her feel safe after what she'd just been through and treated her with the same kind of respect that they would and should treat anyone in her position. If there was one thing the Boston PD was known for, it was owning their city. History had proven that this often only continues to escalate, and they would be right. The compliance Trisha had shown gave Philip a massive sense of control and confidence, The whole thing had gone off way easier than he ever expected, and the power he felt was the ultimate rush. Unlike his good grades and beautiful fiancé, he didn't have to work hard to get this reward, didn't have to earn it or tend to it like a card house. He could just take what he wanted, as if the police would believe some random woman escorting for money online, he had assumed. He didn't think that he was leaving a trail behind him worth following. And the cops were on his tail, but still too far to even come close to his shadow. With an unabashed willingness to make his problems go away no matter what it took, Philip went looking for his next victim. Jalissa Brisman was only in Boston for three days, but most of her free time was already spoken for. The 25-year-old New Yorker was a part-time employee at a tanning salon, but her real money came from modeling lingerie and bikinis, as well as offering erotic massage services online. But this was starting to become the beginning of the end of that line of work. She had been quite the party girl in the city's more sinister and dangerous scenes. But by 2008, Jalissa was sober from all substances and was studying in the counseling field, hoping to help other people get out of the same hole she'd fallen into. But she was also determined to pay her own way through school and keep her head afloat. As low-key as a tanning salon job was, a whole paycheck didn't even come close to what she could make in an hour or two with a massage client. She wasn't proud of it, and most of the people closest to her were unaware of this part of her life. For Julissa, it was a means to an end. Once she graduated, life would look completely different. She was about to turn 26 in a week and determined to make this year the best year yet. Julissa wasn't necessarily a stranger to having men gawk at her for money. She was confident and smart, often coming across much older than she was. The slim brunette knew exactly how to play up her big brown eyes and full lips, and she was fairly young when she realized that attention from a pretty girl was currency she could use to her benefit. Often in the world of sex work, there are various areas, or levels, so to speak, and Jalissa didn't consider herself a sex worker. She didn't have sex for money, and the touching only went one way. Sometimes this perspective gives the false impression that there's also less risk or less danger. But the truth is, once that hotel door closes, she's alone with a stranger, and the only means to protect herself is calling the front desk in time. But unlike Trisha, Jalissa took her screening process a step further — The woman who owned the tanning salon where she worked also managed the Craigslist postings and arranged the schedule. She posted the slot times available for erotic massage appointments, along with the requirement to give a phone number. I don't give out a contact number unless you give yours, the post warned. Someone else always knew where she was and, to a certain extent, who she was with. Julissa would call once the transaction was over, and so far, this system had been successful and safe. On April 14th at 4.37pm, Philip responded to an ad requesting that evening, around 10. Jalissa was free the entire day, but it was Wednesday, and Philip still had classes to attend, exams to study for, and an unsuspecting fiancé to call on the phone. Plus, one of the things that had played up to his favor when it came to all of this surveillance footage was the low lighting and outdoor darkness. Even as sloppy as he was being, he was truly convinced that the authorities would never catch him. Philip sent a message at 9.41 to say he'd be arriving at the Marriott early, and Jalissa got a text to let her know he'd be heading up to the room soon. Just as he expected, his clean-cut appearance and calm tone came across as non-threatening. And like clockwork, once the door closed, Philip took out his gun and immediately seized control of the situation. However, he hadn't predicted that Jalissa would put up one hell of a fight. And after managing to get a zip tie around one of her wrists, Jalissa fought back again. She didn't know what this guy wanted, but whatever it was, he wasn't going to get it. Then... Philip shot Julissa once in the stomach and twice in the chest, directly hitting her heart. He would immediately flee. This time, the commotion had been too loud and there was no minute to spare. Beneath his calm exterior, Philip stewed in his anger and misery. This had been a massive failure. A woman down the hallway from Jalissa's room had heard the sound of thuds and then shots ring out in the distance. She put down her mystery novel and tiptoed over to the door, poking her head out nervously. She could see a woman half out of her doorway on the ground. Unmoving in a strange silence. The security staff on duty would never forget the way she looked when he moved her hair away to reveal all of the blood still dripping down her face. The lifeless image would haunt him. Paramedics could immediately tell that Jalissa had gone through an intense struggle before being shot. Her head had been bludgeoned multiple times, no doubt with the butt of a gun. She had multiple bruises and injuries all over her head, her hands, her arms. She'd been fighting for her life and scrambling to get out of the room when he killed her. Jalissa was pronounced dead an hour later at the Boston Medical Center, a hospital that Philip could be a doctor at in a short amount of time. Jalissa's friend sent her a text message at 11, and again at midnight, wondering if the client had left yet. When she heard nothing, she figured maybe Jalissa just fell asleep or things ran late. Please let me know, everything is okay, she texted at 5.30 the next morning. And by 7, the panic set in. Her heart sank when she called the front desk and they told her to contact the Boston police. By now, forensics were already being gathered, as well as footage from the hotel security cameras. But Jalissa's boss had something even better. She could provide them with access to the Yahoo message account and the email exchanges she'd had with Philip. And all their suspicions were confirmed when they spotted the same man leaving the Marriott on camera. At 10.06pm, he leaves the hotel, phone in hand, just a calm guy texting and walking off into the night. His demeanor is so much more collected than you'd expect from a person who just murdered someone in cold blood. He cools off by going to a casino, desperate for some sort of fix. The stakes had changed, and now this was in the hands of the Boston Police Homicide Unit. They were least interested in what Jalissa did for a living, and more interested in putting a stop to it before he struck again. The first attack on Trisha had been April 10th, and within just three days, it had escalated to murder. Police knew they needed to move quickly, but they could only go as fast as forensics. Within two major events, Philip was already building up a particular M.O., Modus operandi, or method of operation, is exactly what it sounds like. When authorities observe patterns, it can often help with establishing a criminal profile, and even sometimes preventative measures before they strike again. Tips were flooding in over the other images that had been released to the public, and authorities were working overtime around the clock to tie up the rest of their loose ends. But Philip was moving faster than the police could keep up with and by April 16th, he had scheduled to meet up with an exotic dancer named Cynthia at a Rhode Island Holiday Inn Express. Advertising $200 lap dances on Craigslist was easy money when she was off the clock. And even though the hotel didn't have a club bouncer to keep the creeps off her, Cynthia had something even better, a husband who would wait in the lobby. Even if Philip had taken the measly extra measure of using a prepaid phone, nothing could alert him that he was dealing with a team tonight. The news in Boston was hot. His face was on every channel and every broadcast. Going to Rhode Island might have been his way to avoid more local trouble, but hotel surveillance would still capture him going to the third floor around 10 p.m. Whether it was stupidity, outright arrogance, or both, he didn't seem worried that anything would stop him. But his money-hungry pursuit had now turned bloodthirsty. If Jalissa's murder wasn't planned or expected, he certainly didn't need a cooling off period to metaphorically catch his breath. Whether he'd been willing all along, now it was a proven fact that murder was an option if anyone decided to fight back. But Philip wasn't stupid. A gambler as seasoned as him must have known the risks. Just like Trisha and Julissa, Cynthia was wise but unsuspecting of Philip because he just didn't look the part of a guy who would cause a lot of trouble. But as soon as the door closes, he immediately uses the gun to gain all control, demands that she gets on her knees and then down on the floor so he can zip-tie her limbs together and gag her seemingly hoping for the best this time. He keeps telling Cynthia not to worry. He doesn't want to hurt her. He just wants money and then he'll leave. The sound of her phone ringing snapped both of them into an intense suspension. Who keeps calling you? Philip? nervously demanded at Cynthia, who obviously was unable to tell him that her husband was downstairs waiting for a signal that everything was fine. When she didn't pick up, he didn't second-guess his suspicion and immediately started making his way up to the room. Philip might have been prepared for what would happen if a woman fought back again, but when Cynthia's husband rushed into the room, he realized he wasn't up for a standoff with someone his own size. He didn't want a repeat of the Marriott, but still having full control, he held up the gun yelling, "'Who the hell are you?' Cynthia's husband ran off to get security. There was no way he had a chance of gaining control in this situation. In the meantime, Philip would slide the gun into the back of his jeans and leave as casually as possible." Would this finally be enough for him to see how in over his head he was? Or was it all going according to a plan of madness, decided long ago, when he seemed to measure up his problems bigger than any ability he had to reasonably solve them? During December 2008, just four months before the beginning of the end for Philip, he had joined a Foxwoods casino points program for frequent gamblers. The day he was arrested would have been his 19th visit in less than five months. With $1,600 cash in his pocket, it was unclear whether he was committing these robberies to fix his debt issue or just maintain his gambling habits. Either way, he was failing miserably at both. And soon, the walls of his fake empire would come crashing down, and every single person would find out exactly who Philip Markov was, leaving Megan the most shocked of all. Right in front of her eyes, her fiancé had been leading a double life that would change the course of hers forever. The neighborhood in which these crimes were taking place was beloved to the people of Boston, to say the least. It's a bustling area in downtown that would soon host the 113th annual Boston Marathon by ending the race right there. When headlines of the Craigslist killer would eventually hit newsstands, it wasn't the tourism PR they were looking for. Not only was there a lot of pressure to protect a vulnerable population from deadly online solicitation, but there was an element of a political pressure too. The Boston PD wanted their city to trust that they could serve, protect, and always get their guy. Not only would the crimes be committed through relatively new technology, but the investigation itself would rely heavily upon digital evidence as well. The events on both April 10th and April 14th had already started to display a pattern. Not only were they committed in a short time frame, but even the MO and tactics were similar. The first thing police did after both events was scour CCTV and security camera footage for anyone leaving right after the crimes took place. And sure enough, both times, there was their guy. And thanks to Trisha's identification features, they wouldn't have to solely rely on the grainy videos. When they showed her Philip coming and going from the Marriott, he'd been wearing the exact same thing. Was this taken on the way to my room? She asked. And then the strangest kind of fear washed over her when they told her it was from a different hotel, where a murder took place. But what struck authorities the most was that he didn't even appear to be trying to hide himself or his face. Maybe he didn't care. Or maybe there was more to this story than they knew, and this seemingly all-American guy on tape was caught up in something much bigger than himself. At this point, it was clear that things had escalated, and the police didn't want to let him slip through their fingers to strike again. Obviously, their suspect needed to exert full control, and if the victim fought back, the worst possible outcome was now on the table. And they would be correct in their assumption that Philip didn't have any plans to stop soon. While they hopped from stepping stone to stone, mapping out the end to the beginning, Philip was already looking for his next victim. Authorities made the connection between the two cases using the information from Jalissa's friend who had arranged to see him through Craigslist ad responses, leading them to an email address from Live.com which had been made solely for the purpose of the solicitation. A few warrants later, Microsoft would provide the IP address connected to the email. This process of forensic leapfrog had led to a massive break. Now, they had a physical address for their suspect, and surveillance on Philip would start immediately. As long as Philip continued this pattern, it was inevitable that he'd be found out eventually. Technology had changed the pace of sex work once again. Even plenty of hotel security staff at the time were well aware of how much traffic Craigslist was pushing from the erotic services section. And like many people, he had the false impression that Craigslist was one of the most discreet ways to communicate. Unfortunately for his particular motive, the only anonymity the site would provide is the one between him and the person who placed the ad. The rest was easily up for grabs. Even the timing between the emails and phone calls from Jalissa's friend would perfectly match up to the timestamps of him entering and leaving the hotel. With a slightly brisk pace, his nonchalant demeanor was jarring. When they arrived at the large High Point Circle buildings in the Boston suburb of Quincy, they had a bit of old-fashioned detective work on their hands to see the investigation through. Because they were dealing with a wireless router IP, all they had was a general location, not a specific address. The internet provider on the account had given them the name Philip Markov, though. Now it would be a waiting game, as they spent hours staking out the building, waiting to see if they'd spot him and what he would do next. To their surprise, they would instead catch Philip busy putting on a show. Megan was back home now, and he couldn't just do what he wanted as he pleased. Being engaged was a full-time facade. And for someone who they were almost certain had committed murder, he sure didn't look worried at all. Out on a shopping trip with Megan, he smiled and laughed, pushing around the cart with his bare hands while she piled groceries in. Police would obtain fingerprints from the handle and match them to the prints left on duct tape from Trish's mouth. While Philip was busy packing an overnight bag with Megan for a quick casino trip to Connecticut, authorities were already planning on making their move. The last thing they wanted was for him to leave the state, both complicating the charge process or slipping out from beneath their radar. Just ten days after his spree of madness had begun, the sudden wail of sirens on his tail would snap Philip out of his fantasy life and demand a reality from him he had spent his whole life avoiding. Megan sat in the cold, bare interrogation room, across from the officers who had just interrupted their trip to Connecticut. They weren't telling her anything about what was happening, and she soon caught on that the only way to figure it out was to wait and see. At 3.03pm, the audio recording starts and everyone introduces themselves. Philip is in the next room. His interrogation started 15 minutes ago. The officers lean into a really vague generalization, that they're looking into some ongoing incidents. They've received some information they'd like to follow up on. So we want to talk to you and your boyfriend. Fiancé, Megan corrects him. Fiancé, I'm sorry. It's okay, she quietly whispers back. We want to talk to you about some goings-on in and around your neighborhood, maybe in your building. Do you live there with him? Megan says yes, they live together. She's home about once a month for doctor's appointments, and they're planning a wedding in New Jersey as well, so she's spending half of her time there and half of her time here. She explains that she's currently unemployed and going to medical school in September. She tells them of her struggle since her back surgery in 2007 and how she can only do part-time work that's physically easy on her. She doesn't really handle the finances in their relationship, and Philip doesn't work either. He takes loans out for everything. That's how we're living right now, she tells them. These details are really important to the police because they're dealing with robberies on top of a murder. Anything that can give them some sort of motive or an idea of the current pressures in Philip's life will be helpful. When you say he pays for everything, what type of bills do you have? I don't handle any of that, so I couldn't tell you. Well, have you seen any kind of electric bill come to the house or anything? The officers are moving seamlessly into cable internet territory within the first few minutes of the conversation. They have an internet, phone, TV combined plan, but she's not sure how much it is. Maybe $100. They go over some more bills, their vehicle models, their cell phone numbers, and other expenses. It's all in Philip's name. How many computers do you have in the house? Megan tells them that they have two working laptops and a broken one. Philip just bought a brand new one a few days ago from a student after she accidentally stepped on his. Okay.
1: Uh, how many computers do you have in the house?
2: We have two laptops. Actually, he just bought a new one um, off of a student because his was I stepped on his. It was broken. So he has. So now we have a broken one and two. Okay.
1: When did he buy the new one?
2: A few days ago. I don't know. I was in. Here for the back one, so he just told me this when I got home.
1: So he had two and now he has a new one mm-hmm. because he broke one.
2: I broke it, yeah. When, I did, you I break it? when did I break it? I, I stepped on it like two months ago, two, three months ago, and he's been using it, and then, like there's black lines going all through it because I stepped on it. So
1: Did he throw it out when he got the new one? Or?
2: I don't know. I think he still has it. Okay. It's and still in our house, yeah. Okay. Still in our permit.
1: And how do you
2: hook up to the internet? with that use? Uh, it's um, it's like a yeah, wireless
0: router thing. So you've been back here since Saturday night, you said, the 18th. Yep, around six at night. She tells them, and she corrects them that they weren't heading to New Jersey tonight. They were going to stay at Foxwood Casino. They do that once or twice a month whenever Philip has an extra day off classes, or they send him deals on rooms. He plays poker for a few hours. They have dinner, and that's basically what they do there.
3: Been out there about twice a month, does, does, mm-hmm. Do you play cards? I don't. Time? I sit
2: with him and watch him, but I don't. I don't gamble at all.
3: And what does he play usually?
2: He plays blackjack.
3: And like that's
2: it. For like a couple hours, and then you know we have dinner, and then that's it. That's basically what we do there.
3: What kind of stakes? Any type of you know what kind of uh,
2: He has no money, so he's he's you know not. He's not gambling with a lot of money.
3: <laughs> Small sense. Yeah, yeah. And when when you're out of town, mm-hmm. um, when you were out of town this past month, do you talk daily?
2: Yeah, we talk a few times a day.
3: Okay. And is that on the phone from the house, cell phone?
2: Usually the house phone. Okay. I, I usually call him from the house phone. He's always at home.
3: Oh, I And mean, texting?
2: Texting, I text him.
3: Okay. And as, as finances... Uh, how long has the financial situation been like this, where it just takes loans to basically live? Since he start
2: started medical school, because they don't, you know, you can't have a job while you're in medical school, basically. I mean,
0: this is. Tough. Then they go over the details of their income a little more. Megan hasn't ever worked since she's been in Boston. She hasn't been working for a long time. And neither has Philip, who is a full-time student. You either have rich parents who pay for everything, or you take out loans. That's what everyone does in medical school, she explains. So you guys have rent. Food, cable, car payments, cell phones, internet, you're planning a wedding, you both don't work. We're talking somewhere in the area of at least $2,000 a month for basic living expenses, and your student loans take care of all that? Mm-hmm. Megan agrees. So on a day like today when you're going to Foxwoods, was the room completely comped, or did you have to pay a fee? Ah, uh, no, it was $79. And then she talks more about fees, her looking for work. Megan is the perfect source of information— she starts talking about how she's been looking for jobs on Craigslist.
3: And so the rent is like 1400 food, cable, mm-hmm. um, you have two vehicles. So we're talking somewhere in excess or in, in the area of, I mean, would be fair to say between $1,500 $2,000 $2, a month just for basic living expenses. Mm-hmm. And student loans covers all that. Mm-hmm.
2: And like I said, like, I, I have savings, which are gone now, which I used for food and stuff, you know, the past year.
3: And so on a day like when you got out of Fox was today, was the room that you were going to stay in completely, excuse me, mm-hmm. was the room that you were going to stay in completely clumped, or did you have to pay a nominal fee?
2: Uh, no, it was $79 that you, They they gave us, yeah, they gave us a $79 rate. And then, I mean... He has, like, a card at home that says, you know, you get a, a free room each week in night, you know. But I think a bunch of people get that. I don't know why. I, I guess. So you're going to
3: stay one night for $79? Yeah. You said you were uh, looking for work on Craigslist. Mm-hmm. Do you um, Craigslist?
2: I haven't done it since December because I've been concentrating on getting into medical school. So, I
3: mean, yeah,
2: so from... Um, this past December, and then like a year before that, I, I was looking. I was doing like trying to find nanny jobs, stuff like that. I I would like email people or email the Craigslist
3: people, and
2: I mean I like, got yeah, maybe one or two people got me back out of
3: the hundreds. And how does so? I'm a little bit older than you, obviously, so that Craigslist stuff. Mm-hmm. So that, how does that work? Do you, do you apply for jobs right on?
2: Um, there's people that it's it's like a it's like a newspaper classified that online. So there's people who post jobs or whatever you're looking for housing. You go and you click what whatever you want. Like I, you know, was searching for childcare or something like that or something in the medical field. So I would go and I would they would either have their email or there would be a Craigslist email. And the Craigslist email would email the person, you know, your response, so I would be like, well, I'm interested in this job, here's my resume, and they would send it there, but but nobody, like I said, nobody got back to me. Have you? Maybe one or two women did, and they were okay. like, oh, well, you know, you're not good enough, so.
1: <laughs> I interjected the record. Have you posted your resume on Craigslist?
2: No, I didn't. No, I just, I sent them in emails to people. Okay. I I haven't sent my resume to anybody in in years, except for these, like, these few women that I wanted to apply for nanny jobs. Like, I don't post to vanmonster.com. I don't post my resume or anything
0: like that. Does anyone else visit him or the apartment? No. Like, me and him, we're together 24 hours a day. He can even watch his lectures online at home, so we're together all the time. Megan may not know exactly what's going on, but there's already a slight sense of protection around Phil in her answers. Even if she's been gone for the last month, she gives more information than she's asked for, saying that he's always home whenever she calls him. Have you been experiencing any more financial troubles as of late? Have things gotten any easier? No, not at all Megan says
1: does anyone else visit him I'll live with him at all
2: no I mean I'm he me and him like we're together twenty four hours a day like he there's because during school the The professors, they put the lectures online. So you technically, you don't have to go to the class and stay in class. Mm -hmm. You can be at home and watch the lectures, which is what he does. So we're together all the time. Mm -hmm. And whenever I'm at home in New Jersey, you know, this has been the longest time I've been in New Jersey this past month, and that was a month. And usually I'm just gone for a week or a few days. And when I am, I call him, and I call him on the home line, and he's at home. You know, it's it's not like I'm calling him on his cell phone and he's, you know, somewhere,
1: All right, so, somewhere else. So you were actually not in Quincy for the past month?
2: Right. It would have been a month from the 24th. So I think it was March 20th when I came home
3: to New Jersey,
2: March 20th. And then I came back now. So it was a month.
3: Have, have you been experienced any more... Um, Financial trouble or has, has your fiance um, talked to you about experiencing any more financial trouble of late? Have things gotten easier? Has there been more money available? No. 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 Not at
0: all. They ask again if they ever have friends over, wanting to establish whether or not anyone else could have used their laptops or sent those responses on Craigslist. No, we never have friends over. Megan explains that they basically don't have many friends in Boston, and they've only had family members visit rarely. And as for posting on Craigslist, she's never made an ad, just replied to nanny jobs that she was interested in. Philip has never posted on it either. She's sure of it, because why would he? He doesn't have anything to sell, and he's not looking for work right now. Not even to maybe sell that laptop or something? (laughs) He's not going to sell his broken laptop, she laughs. I mean, he tells me everything. So if he was going to post something on Craigslist, he'd tell me. Megan is starting to get a little confused, and from her perspective, the questions probably seem so scattered. Without prompting, she eventually continues. I mean, I don't know why you guys are asking about the money thing, or it getting easier, but we're like living dollar to dollar. Although from the officer's perspective, it looks more like they're living dollar to $79 per night stay, but Megan might have a different idea of what that is. And she may not realize it, but overemphasizing how hard things have been, and that they have no money, actually leans into the motive for high-pressure stakes in Philip's life. Whether the actual reason for what he did was money or not, new pressures in life can often mean someone's ability to cope gets pushed to the brink. Maybe Philip couldn't handle it anymore.
2: I mean, the money thing, I don't know why you're asking me if it has gotten easier, but its it's been tough this whole time. It's been like, you know, we're living dollar to dollar. Because they don't, they're not going to give you more money. than he, He's taking out the maximum amount of loans. And that's, you know, like we should. Like we were only gonna get this apartment, this at eight High Point, could see if I got a job, and I never ended up getting a job because no one responded to me, and so it's been really hard. So he's been taking out the maximum amount of loans. Okay.
3: So it's
2: been very difficult. Does
3: that add to the stress down, the situation? Is it? I mean, financial stress is hitting mm-hmm. everybody, but yeah,
2: I mean, not people. really because I mean, you know. It, He's been dealing with it for two years. You know, we do what we can do, and we'll, you know, eventually we'll have money and we'll we'll pay them back. You
0: know. They go over the different timelines in their lives, and Megan fills in as much of the gaps as she can for them, considering she knows quite a bit about Philip, where he's lived, where he's gone to school, everything he's studied, etc. And then she tells them a story about how they've been recently getting all these weird calls from a Massachusetts number all day long. And that they've been getting random calls all the time on their landline. They haven't changed the number yet, but it's been really annoying. In the last few weeks while you were away, has Phil told you about running into any kind of problems, illegal or otherwise? Did he seem the same the last couple days that you've been with him? And after this question, Megan's patience has reached its limit. Can I ask what happened or what this is all about? But they tell her they need more background information first.
1: Did, uh, you, you said it kind of annoyed you that you kept getting these calls, mm-hmm. but your boyfriend just said kind of don't worry about it. Did he seem to take it in stride?
2: Well, he's like that. I mean, he's like, he he's like, maybe we should call Comcast or something, but we, we never ended up doing that. Or he's just like, you know, just don't answer. or, You know, pick it up and tell him, stop calling, you know, or just stop answering. He just, you know, kind of blew it off. Like, don't don't answer them anymore, because I'm getting mad. I'm wanting to pick up and yell at these people. And he's just, just like, you know, just don't get worried about it.
3: Anytime. I
2: mean, it bothers him a lot, too. Ever since the beginning, he's like, this is this is the most awful t- telephone number we've gotten. Like, you know, not just solicitors, it's people calling. Like, crazy people.
3: In the last few weeks while you were away, Mm -hmm. um, you know, has Phil told you he's run into any kind of problems with anything, either legal or any otherwise? Mm -mm. Has he seemed the same uh, in the past couple of days since you've been with him? Yeah. He's never mentioned any activity that he's had any problems with anybody legally or with police or anything
1: like
2: that? Can I ask what happened? What? what this was all
1: about, or... Well, uh, uh, we'd like to get a mm-hmm. little more background first. first Within the past few days, was there at any point in time where you had difficulty getting in touch with him? No. Okay. And he was always available by cell phone? Or Our home phone. Do you text message a lot? Yeah.
2: Okay. I mean, we're text messaging all the time. And Excuse me? We text message all the time when I'm in New Jersey, and I call several
0: The officers ask more about text messages, emails, and frequency. Megan has a lot of answers, because as far as Megan's concerned, she knows every single thing about her very normal, very predictable fiancé. After a few more minutes, her curiosity gets brave again. Can I ask what this is about or no? Sure, the officer says and takes a breath. They've established enough to start treading into more serious territory. Megan's entire world is about to change, and she has absolutely no idea. We're investigating some computer activity coming from your house from online massage services. Megan immediately goes back to the weird phone call story, saying that she's had weird calls mentioning massages and nail services. She doesn't really seem phased at all. I mean, I book massages all the time because I have a bad back, so it's not really that strange. But Megan always calls to make her appointment, she clarifies. It would never be a reply on Craigslist. And she mentions that Philip has never gotten a massage in his life. Megan is probably feeling some sort of relief. Like she thought from the beginning, this is all some big mistake. I mean, could the person who's been calling us be a part of all this? She asks. Keeping in mind, this was only 2009. At the time, not everyone was savvy about exactly how their internet activity worked. Well, couldn't it have maybe been someone else's Comcast account or something? And this is when they explain what an IP address is and how it's something you can't just easily fake or access. Someone accessed an email account from that IP and that person responded to Craigslist postings
3: we we told you that, you know, you've asked us a couple of times kind of what it's about, and we're kind of explaining to you that um, there's some activity, we believe, that emanated from your apartment relative to computer activity. Correct. Right? Uh-huh. Okay.
2: Um, I mean, how do you know it's from our apartment? Could it be just through a Comcast,
1: through... Yeah,
2: you know, any
1: computer well, or... something that we've, we've, we've fallen back <clears> as best as we can. Uh, and you have a Comcast account, correct? Right. And that's in Philip's name? Right. And having a computer account is like having a phone number. There's a, there's a number assigned right. to you. Right. Do you know anything about computers? Not really. Okay. There's a thing called an Internet Protocol address. Yes. It's like your computer's phone number. Yeah. Every account, every uh, uh, person with an account has an IP right. number.
2: Now, can... People, um, you know, like, hack into that. You know, like, people do that with computers all the time because it's well, from understanding.
1: I don't think they can hack into it so much as, theoretically, uh, someone could access it from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have a static uh, number, which is your your fiancé's. I mean, could
2: it be our phone number? That
1: that's No. No, it's, oh, okay. your, it's your IP address. Oh, okay.
3: What, what we can tell you is, is someone has accessed, uh, um, Craig. a- accessed Craigslist from your apartment. So oh, well,
1: actually, let me clarify that. Uh, someone's accessed uh, an email account from
3: the IP address
1: associated with your apartment mm-hmm. uh, and uh, made some emails to someone
3: mm-hmm. and set
1: up a date.
0: But they had more than just a connection to the IP address. They had photographs for Megan to look at. Where is this? Megan's voice changes tone. I'm not asking where it is. I'm asking if you recognize the individual in the picture. That looks like Phil. She agrees with an unsaid implication. Might not be his shoes, but that's definitely his leather jacket. They read the date and times out loud and describe it for the audio, and she more or less agrees that two out of three photos look similar to Phil. She's curious where it was, most likely to verify that it's somewhere he could never be. She knows him like the back of her hand. She would know what he'd been doing on those days at that time.
3: What I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you to look at the picture
2: and mm-hmm. see if you recognize the individual in
3: the picture. Where right. is this? I'm, I'm not asking where it is. I'm asking if you recognize the individual in the picture.
2: That looks like Phil. That
3: looks like Phil? Yes. Okay. And okay. I ask you to look at another another picture. Who is that?
2: I cannot tell. Okay.
3: Does it look like anyone you recognize?
2: Um, it could look a, like a lot of people like. That may be Phil, may not. I mean, that guy looks heavier than Phil. Those aren't his shoes either. <laughs> okay.
3: How about the jacket? Phil owned a leather jacket? That yeah. that what was that? Pardon?
2: Yeah.
3: Okay. Have you seen Phil with that leather jacket on recently?
2: Um, he wears it.
3: Okay. And um, when you look at that picture there, the first one, you said it looks like Phil, is that correct? Mm-hmm. So you, you believe that, that that person in is photo number one looks just like Phil, is that correct? And you can take it out the sheet protective if it's if clear. Uh, well, it looks similar, okay. but he does not have those shoes. Okay. And
2: the back guy looks heavier. Okay. And um, that? that. He doesn't our, have a his... jacket. He has a similar leather jacket. He does have a leather jacket. Okay. But those aren't his shoes. Okay. Can you tell what kind of shoes
3: those are in the photo?
2: Uh, they just look like big black, I don't know, they, they don't look like shoes he has. Okay. I know, you know, all the shoes. He wears New Balance sneakers 99% of the time. Does he own a pair of shoes like that that he
1: just doesn't wear? Not that I know.
2: Not that you know? No. Okay. Can, where, I, can where I ask that? you
3: where that was, though? Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. Can I just ask you to look mm-hmm. at one other photo? This is a photo outside. It's camera 222 outside of a T-station. Does that individual look familiar to you? Uh, it
2: looks a little bit like him. Okay. Not exactly, no.
4: Okay. That,
2: he looks heavier.
3: Okay. And is it? If the photo was more clear, like if you, this is obviously a photo that's taken off some type of a digital image. Mm-hmm. If the photo was clearer, do you think that might help you?
2: Uh, no.
3: It wouldn't help you? No.
2: I mean, he lo- that looks heavier than Phil, so I, I don't
3: know. And I just have one more. Uh, I'm going to ask you to look at, this one is dated 414.09 at 1004. It says camera 12.
1: You you look at the photo. I noticed and you kind of made a little face
3: behind it. Yeah,
2: well, the hair looks different, so I don't know. <clears throat> um, where was that again? Did she say uh-huh. at a tea station? Well, the last one was, at a,
3: no, the last one was at a tea station. No, the last one was not. The last one was inside the lobby of a uh, of a uh, hotel.
1: Oh, okay.
3: Okay. Marriott. Yes. So what, which
2: Marriott remember? was that? Marriott in Boston. Oh. okay.
3: Coffee Square. Have you seen any of these Marriott photos? Have Boston. you been watching the news the last couple of days at all? No. Have you read any of the Boston newspapers? No,
2: because I've been in New Jersey. So okay, I. But
3: you've been back. From oh,
2: Square. the the guy. My my mom actually told me there's a guy. You know, going around and
4: to hotels.
2: Right. Right.
3: So what I'm asking you is is we're following the lead mm-hmm. you know, from the IP address in your apartment, mm-hmm. okay, that made a date with an individual at a hotel. And then the first photo I showed you is mm-hmm. an individual at that hotel that showed up at that time that the date was made, and he told me that it looks like Phil, correct? Mm-hmm. If I showed you that picture... On a digital image that yes. was somewhat more clear, would that help you? Am I? Okay. Would you be willing to look at that on a on a computer? you on a digital image.
0: Sure. So what does massage therapy have to do with a guy killing women? Megan is extremely confused. The police explain their line of questioning is so she can start to see the whole picture of what they're piecing together. She agrees it is quite the coincidence. She mentions that when they got pulled over earlier, Philip was scared to death. So
2: what is this massage therapist? have to do with the guy no, some killing people, killing the women.
3: Well, there hasn't been women killed, okay? There's, uh, there's only one person killed.
2: And it was a massage therapist,
3: you said? Oh, or no? No, we didn't say that. We didn't say that. Oh. We, when we asked you, when I asked you, the records Lieutenant Tanner Martin, I had asked, asked, asked you about any, you told me that you had to get some crank calls into your apartment. I asked you if any of those calls were mm-hmm. either threatening or sexual or anything else in nature, and you said that they were none like that. That there was a person that appeared well, to be mentally yeah. unstable. Right. Correct. And then I asked you if um, there had been any calls relative to massage or anything like that. You said, well, you know, yeah, there were a couple of calls that people started asking for massage, which, you know, was kind of a strange call. Uh, to yeah. Yeah.
2: And, and, yeah. Okay.
3: And,. We then you asked us basically why you're here. We told you that a a, uh, an email an email was sent from an IP address in your apartment, okay, to set up a an appointment with a masseuse at a local hotel, Mm -hmm. and the time and time frame of uh, that appointment coincides with these surveillance photos of the individual.
2: Okay, and who's
3: the masseuse? That's That's something that we'll get to the bottom of. We're trying to get to the bottom of. Okay. Okay? But, you know, at this point, um, we showed you some surveillance photos, and you believe it looks like Phil in the photo. All right?
1: So, coincidentally, there's someone at this hotel at the time of the appointment who looks like Phil, Mm -hmm. and it appears that the appointment was made from the computer in your apartment. That's, That's kind of a big coincidence. Wouldn't you agree with me? Yes.
3: Okay.
2: I mean, could there have been a million guys, you know, going into... Well, the? I guess
3: our question is, has Phil mentioned anything to you about having any problems? Like, when the police went to pull you over today on the highway, did Phil say anything to you?
2: No, he was scared to death. He was like, oh my God, what's happening? What's happening? Just as I was, you know? Uh,
3: okay. So, Phil has never mentioned to you that he's uh, called for any type of massage service or made any email uh, accounts from any kind of type of massage service? And he's never mentioned to you that he's been to any of the uh, Boston hotels, such as the Mary Copley.
2: Hmm. I'm sorry, he's no. a little No. You.
3: And when you were pulled over today, he never mentioned anything to you about the police?
2: No, no, he was scared to death. He was scared to death. He and, said, what's What's happening? Basically, we turned to each other and said, what is happening? Okay. I mean, uh, um, we're still scared
3: to death, obviously.
0: The officers ask if she's willing to look at photographs after they've been digitally enhanced. Maybe that will help her be sure. She says the hair and weight don't seem to really match, but these pictures are fine. She doesn't want to look at anything else. You weren't in Boston during those times, were you? No, I was in New Jersey, but I can look at my phone to see if there's any calls from him or text messages. They ask about the shoes. Maybe he has a pair that she isn't aware of. No, I monitor all of his shoes. She laughs, probably realizing how silly that statement sounds. I pick out all of his shoes, she repeats. And she's never seen him once wear a baseball cap, at least not for a year, because she hates how they look on him. Maybe if Megan saw a digitally enhanced photo, she would realize that those shoes match the very ones Philip is wearing right now. So you say Philip is a homebody more or less, the officer starts. And Megan begins rambling again about how he's home all the time and she knows about everything he does. She has a lot to say because she's feeling defensive. Whatever they're trying to accuse her fiancé of, she's absolutely sure they're wrong. Just speaking on the money again and going to the casino, do you know how much he spends on gambling? I don't know, but he's not going to walk out with less than he came in with. She says if he was a heavy gambler, she'd be shocked by that. It's not any more significant than any of his other hobbies. Then they ask if she's ever seen Phil with a firearm. Never. Is there one in the apartment? No. He's open and honest about everything, and nothing in their home is off-limits, so she would know for sure. I mean, do you think this is the guy who's been in the hotels, or is there a million people this could be? I mean, this is very worrisome. She's still hopeful. But what she's told them here has only further validated that Phil is their guy. You love Phil and you two are engaged. Would you ever protect him? I would not lie for him if he did something like this. No, I wouldn't. Okay.
3: okay. I don't know for other questions. Uh, just one thing.
2: I mean, is this. Do you think this is the guy that's been in the hotels,
3: or is, well, she, is, where is,
2: is there like a million people that this could be? Because this is
4: very worrisome, you know. I can understand the concern.
3: I, I think I think you know one of the things that's most worrisome for us is that a, a, an online email was initiated from mm-hmm. an IP address in your apartment. Mm-hmm. The individual that we believe that showed up to complete that online massage or date is the individual in the picture, and the first picture you looked at, you thought he looked quite similar to Phil.
2: Okay, and then? Okay.
3: So for us.
2: But does this have to do with the masseuse? Yes. Is that what you're saying? Oh, okay. Yes.
3: Yeah.
1: And you've been with Phil for a couple of years now, and you're engaged? Yes. And you love him? Yes, I do. Okay. Would you try to protect him if he did something wrong? Would you lie for him?
2: I would not lie for him if he did something like this. No, I wouldn't.
1: Something like what? Like,
2: like what you're telling me? If he's out killing people?
1: I don't think we ever actually
3: said that.
2: I I don't know what happened to the masseuse. Can you tell me what happened to the masseuse?
3: In one of the instances, they've been robbed and in another instance they've been killed.
2: Okay. Okay, I just, I would never, ever, ever think he would ever do something like that, ever. That's being honest. Like I, you know, he he doesn't get angry often. He's Mm -hmm. not an angry person. He's a medical student,
0: you know. And even though almost every part of Megan is telling her that there's no way any of this could be real, she asks the police, "Is there any reason for me to be scared to go home with this person?" Which is such an interesting way to talk about Phil. Already, there's a part of her wondering if there's a Philip she doesn't know.
3: Uh, I have no further questions. Uh. No further questions. No. Would you be willing to, if, if we uh, do have some other questions, to come back in for an issue? Sure. Oh, okay, great.
2: I mean, yes. is there any reason for me to be like scared to go home with this person?
3: Uh, <laughs> Might um, be
2: outside. At,
3: at this time, we're gonna make some decisions. We're gonna, we're gonna actually, we don't know what's going on outside this room, so we're gonna. Like I,
2: decisions. I just.
3: Uh, hey, do you have any reason to fear him?
2: No, not at all. But I'm just. Are you? You're. Worrying me?:
3: Well, I can see this is a very serious <laughs> business, and you know we don't mean to worry you. we don't yeah. need to love you in any way. This is pretty serious, and mm-hmm. um, you know that's what we do. We investigate homicides. Yeah. Right.
2: I mean, are there other people that rocked
3: this hotel that could have done this? so That's why we have an ongoing active of investigation. Okay. okay
0: Either way, it doesn't matter. Philip won't be going home with her. In the room next door, Philip has been less helpful when it comes to offering up information. If it was true that he was scared to death when they'd been pulled over, he was sure doing his best not to outwardly show it. It's 2.45 when they start, and they give him the same general explanation that they gave to Megan. But Philip isn't confused like she was. He knows exactly why they want to talk to him. At this point, he just doesn't know how much the police know. And he's going to play stupid. He spent his whole life perfecting an image, an image that has been enough to open doors and hide in every other situation in his life so far. Why should this be any different? They don't waste any time and get right down to business with his Miranda rights. When someone in an interrogation hears this, they usually think they're being arrested. And by all means, anyone in this situation should just ask for an attorney and stick to that. But the police are always great at reframing this as a means to open up dialogue. You can just get a lawyer, quit the questioning process, and be done with it. But more often than not, curiosity gets the best of people. Someone like Philip, who is used to being in control and has a lot to hide, would be particularly interested in finding out more. And authorities will make you feel like asking for a lawyer is suspicious, as a self-doubt tactic. If you still need reassurance, the police will be sure to calm those concerns with a reminder that you can stop at any point. A suspect might think to themselves, it's no big deal. What could a couple back and forth bits of conversation really do? Especially someone who thinks they're smarter. But when you're dealing with trained professionals, it doesn't take much. A few sentences later, you've already said more than you realize. You're in over your head and you can't even see it. When your focus is lying or dishonesty, everything else is harder to maintain. You can't stay neutral when you have something to protect. Philip is also confused about how the whole attorney thing works in the first place. He seems to hint that he needs one, but he gives them another avenue to keep talking because he asks if they'll give him one. They explain to him that they don't just have lawyers on call waiting around for people. If you want a lawyer, you have to get one yourself. And of course, they don't get too into the details of how he would acquire one, making it sound like an annoying process. They want to focus on his curiosity about what they've even taken him into the station for. They want a motive. They want a confession. In the least, they want more information to secure warrants for his apartment, depending on the things he mentions. And then one of the officers makes a genius move, implying that Philip is a generic-looking guy, and really this could just be a matter of clearing up a simple misidentification. And it works. After a little back and forth for the first 10 minutes, Philip is okay with the fact that he can stop at any time. He's too busy playing stupid to realize this is a trap. It's also interesting that at no point does Philip say, Wait a minute, hold on, you're investigating me for something I'm involved in? No, it's just a couple calm questions about whether or not they can get him a lawyer.
5: And I'm willing to make a statement at this time without a lawyer being present. Would you like to speak to us now relative to some questions we have
6: to ask you? Well, it depends what they're about. Maybe I should speak to a lawyer.
5: Well, it's up to yourself, and it's a decision you have to make. Well, what is uh... this about? Well, it's about a series of incidents that have gone on, and we just have some questions. As you're well aware of, there's been some reports of some robberies and a homicide, and we've been following a ton of leads uh, as a result of that stuff. And you're a person of interest at this point, and we'd like to speak to you relative to that. Okay, maybe. Can you get me a lawyer? Then? Can I get you a lawyer? Yeah. You have a right to get you a lawyer yourself.
6: And well, I don't I don't know. I don't know where you get a lawyer from.
5: Yeah, that's, I mean, is that your decision that you'd rather have a lawyer than to speak with me? I mean, yeah, I don't really know what this is about, but I probably should. I don't want to say something. It's up to yourself. Is that your request that you want a lawyer?
6: Sure. I mean, can you get me one?
5: Well, would you, is, just so we understand, I have a perfect understanding of what's going on, would you like to have an attorney here today and then continue some questioning, or would you like to not to speak at all and, and, and get an attorney? Because, I mean, you can make a phone call, you can try to have an attorney here, and you can go through the proceedings with, the, with an attorney present if that's your wish.
6: Uh, yes, I'd feel more comfortable with an attorney present if All you could right. provide well, me with somebody. One of your next
5: rights is you have a right to make a phone call. We'll let you make a phone call, and if you want to try to find an attorney and have an attorney respond no, here. you. No, you
6: can just have someone who does this.
5: We have an attorney that does this? Or, you know, who's. Yeah. You know what I'm trying to say? I don't know what you're trying
7: to say. You want to consult with an attorney before we move forward, is that correct? Sure. All right. Detective Kimmy for the record, just so that it's clear, you're asking us to try to provide you an attorney. You don't have. Yeah, I don't I don't, I don't. I don't have. I don't have a lawyer. I don't know where to get a lawyer. Okay. And you absolutely don't want to talk to us unless you have an attorney before you talk to us. Because the, the thing it is, I'm going to be very frank with you. you. I'm sure you have some idea of what we're looking at here, right? You have some idea what we're talking about. Not really. Well, you live in the area, and you've been watching the news?
6: I don't really watch the news.
7: Do you read the newspapers? No. Not at all? No, people my age don't really watch. Because you don't watch the news, all right. Well, the the detective talked about it briefly, that there's a number of incidents that have happened in the area. Your physical description, and that you're a white male with light-colored hair, has triggered our interest in you to some extent, but as you can imagine, there's about... Probably 80,000 other people that are about your height, about your facial features, about your hair color. Yeah. Um, you're a person of interest because of these things and some other things. Um, we would like to talk to you about that, but we're not going to talk to you if you insist on having an attorney there. What sure are the other lawyers. things? Well, <laughs> until we get through this format, we can't talk to you about anything. Okay. Well. But we have We have to. We have to make sure that you, your rights. I mean, we're going to be zealous in making sure that your rights are preserved. All right. That is our obligation to the law and our obligation to you. Uh, so I would uh, like,
6: I would like, can you provide me with an attorney? Yeah.
7: We're not going to provide you with an attorney. We'll make,
5: uh, we'll allow you to make a phone call and you can inquire. Okay?
6: It says you'll provide me one. Well,
5: so that's 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 a process, sir. As that says there. Like, if in fact you ended up in the court, if you were indigent, and if the courts found you indigent, then they would provide you with an attorney. That's in a different proceeding. This way, now you're like number one. You're not under arrest,
6: correct? But you said I could have a lawyer for this. I, well,
5: the form is you have a right to an attorney, okay? We don't actually give people attorneys. You can hire an attorney to move forward. Or at some point, if you were arrested... I don't think I can afford an attorney. Well, I mean, that's, you know, I mean, that's... that Phone calls could be made to a company, uh, the, the public defender's office and maybe they can make one available to you. However, you're not the deciding factor of whether or not you could afford an attorney. The courts are. But the bottom line, as far as this interview goes, Philip, so we're clear, is you have a, a right to have an attorney with you while you're being questioned, if you so choose. Okay? Okay. Or you can shut down. You don't want to speak to us you know, because you want to uh, take one of your, take advantage of one of your rights and, and get an attorney, and you can postpone this till another time. Um, the way that works, if we're going to provide you with an attorney, we being the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, that means that there's a process in place. If you're arrested, brought before a court, and you tell the court that, hey, look at I can't afford an attorney and I want one, and it's at that point they'll either deem you indigent, where you absolutely, because of the information you provide them, cannot afford one, and they'll provide you with a public defender. However, if they find that you have the means either with family or other areas to afford an attorney, then they'll tell you to get an attorney before the next court date, to hire an attorney. So but right now we you can uh, you know we can see what's going on. If you want an attorney, that means we shut down. Okay?
6: But I could stop at any time, right? You can, you know, well that's another one of your
5: rights if you understand that as we read, you can proceed, you can talk to us. It's your right. You have to waive it though. You have to tell me that, hey look at I understand my rights fully and I'm willing to talk to you, and I can stop at any time also. That's you so right do say. you want me to fill this out? Yeah, start? That, that, yeah, fill it out. And is that your understanding, that you're willing to talk to me? You want to waive that?
6: Well, you said I can stop at any time. You can't
5: stop at any time.
6: Well, I okay. just want to hear what's going on from you. So well, okay. we can start.
5: Let me, okay, just so we're clear, though, we're going on the record. You, you asked for an attorney. Detective Kenny, just
6: in terms of... Like, well, I, from what you were saying, unexplained to me, I thought, like, you would provide me with line. Oh, yeah, we just don't give people attorneys. Well, that's what I thought, like, okay. would, would happen, so... Okay, so the, the fact
5: that you inquired about your interpretation of that right, was that I had an attorney waiting outside, and I let him, you speak to an attorney, or something along well, those that's lines? Well,
6: what, that's what I thought, that was my understanding. Okay,
5: your thoughts now is that you understand what I've explained to you. I
6: understand if I want an attorney, now I have to get one myself.
5: Right. Or yes, or make a phone call and, 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 you know, have one made available to you. We're not going to give you one.
6: I wouldn't really know who to call the Okay. But, I mean, that's, that's what phone calls and
5: that's what there is advice out there for you to follow up on that. But before we move forward, Philip, you're clear with the fact that you, as you said, you're willing to speak and you know that right where you can shut down at any particular yeah, time?
6: Yeah, I know I know I can shut down at any time. Okay,
5: so you're aware of that? You're okay. aware of the way it works? That I, I just want to hear what's going on, so you okay, can Okay, but rather than for you to, just to find out what this is all about, you're clear about your rights. I, I know my rights. You know your rights. Have you ever been advised of your rights in the past? No. No, this is the first time?
6: I believe so, yeah. You've never
5: been, had any interaction with the police before?
6: I used to be on a youth court, so I used to read rights. Oh, you used to read rights? One, when I was like 15.
5: Oh, yeah? Okay, very good. Um, as a, as a, I alluded to early on about that, there's been a lot of stuff going on. And as a result of that stuff, there's been hundreds of tips coming in here. And if you haven't read the paper, you really don't have a clue to what we're talking about? No, like I really two. don't
6: read the paper or watch the news.
5: So in the last week or two, you haven't heard anything about some stuff that's been going on in and around Boston regarding uh, Craigslist's? No,
6: I really, I really don't watch the news.
5: Okay, well, just let me give you a brief synopsis of what we're doing. Then.
0: Okay. They ask if he's heard anything about what's been going on in the last week or two in the city, and Philip says, no, I don't watch the news. The officer gives him a synopsis of the case, explaining that in their investigation, quite a few people have found a strong likeness to him with the person they're looking for. Right now, they don't want to dive into every single piece of evidence they have. They say they're following up on leads, nudges in the right direction, to see what he thinks about that. Philip is unfazed. He explains that he frequents the Boston area because of school. He's finishing up his second year in hematology there. He's friendly enough in tone, but he doesn't elaborate in any of his answers. So you really haven't seen anything in the news? I don't know if young people like me really watch the local news, honestly, Phil says casually. He's careful to stick to low-commitment answers. I don't know. I believe so. Maybe. I don't remember. I could have. He says his parents were in town at a hotel a while ago. Then the officers remind him that they're homicide detectives. You'd think an innocent person would be more determined to clear up any mistake as serious as this. But instead, Philip pulls another random, non-committal throwaway at them. He went to the Cheesecake Factory a while ago, but conveniently doesn't remember when. I don't go out to eat much, Phil says. In a way, this would most likely help someone remember it even more clearly, because it's significant. Phil's just throwing things at the wall to see what sticks. But playing stupid is hard to do when you aren't that stupid, and you're being asked questions by people who won't stop until they get a satisfactory answer. This isn't his fiance or his family or his friends. He can't weasel his way out of this simply by muddying the waters with random details.
5: I can't believe you have, you don't listen, and again, if you, what do you do? What are you focusing on in school? What's your crew what your major?
6: Uh, I'm a medical student, so medical student, we're doing so. hematology and oncology right now. Yeah, so you balls deep in the books as well? Yeah. Um, okay. Have you um,
5: no understanding, nothing about seeing any press, anything in the news, anything I don't really, sensational? People, I, I, think, no?
6: I think like young people like me, we don't often watch, like, I don't watch yeah. local news, I'm not from yeah. Boston. And how old are you? 23. 23, I guess I can relate to
5: that, I have a, uh, kids myself that age, and as far as reading the papers, I know, so I guess I can uh, go along with that. But let me tell you that, there have been some incidents okay. that do match your description. Um, tell me this, have you ever been to some of the hotels downtown Boston? In the past week or so?
6: Not in the past week.
5: Okay, in the, before the past week, maybe two weeks, three weeks. You tell me when. Well, was the my last
6: dad week? was, my dad and his wife were in Boston, maybe in February, and they stayed at a hotel.
5: Okay, and what hotel was that?
6: I don't remember. It was one of the ones near Peninsula Center.
5: Yeah, Peninsula Center. Is that the last time, Philip, that you were at a hotel? I believe. All right. Is there? Could you have been there like recently and just don't recall it? Or I could have
6: like walked through the lobby.
5: Do you have a memory of doing that recently?
6: I don't have a memory of it off the top you my head. All right.
5: um, If you think for a second, is there a possibility that maybe you did do something
6: like that? Walk to the lobby? Yeah. Maybe. I don't remember.
5: What would cause you as a medical student from BU to walk to a lobby?
6: Well, the Prudential Center isn't it connected to all the hotels. So that's yeah. to go from like walk through the potential center? Yeah. Don't you often walk through hotel hobbies?
5: Um yeah. What hotel is connected to the potential center? And I don't really. I don't really know, don't really know them that well. Itself. Well, do you have do you have what, what brings you to the potential center if you don't remember?
6: I've been there a handful of times.
5: Yeah, is it just like coffee or shopping or what brings you down there?
6: All those reasons? Yeah,
5: all of those. Um but no one no one hotel jumps at, out at you as far well. not really. You do have a specific memory of being in one in that area when your mom and dad were in town?
6: Yeah, they were in one. Okay,
5: okay. and how long have you been in the, in the Boston area? How long, what's, what year are you in Be BU? Uh,
6: I'm finishing up my second year.
5: Your second year. All right. And you have you lived at that Quincy address since then?
6: Since I started, no, I lived in South Boston, and then I moved to Quincy.
5: Yeah. Um, how does it feel to be wrapped up in this stuff? I mean, this is, is this your first time being involved at this? And I know you said you worked at the youth court. What do you think about, about being dragged
6: in here? on it? I don't know. I was trying to figure out what was going on. Okay.
5: And, and, and as you know, I mean, if you have some familiarization with the courts, uh, especially it's something, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an investigation. You know the unit you're in now? Did you see the sign when you walked in the door? No. It says the homicide unit, and I introduced myself as a homicide detective. So that tells you okay. at least you. something, something that we're talking some serious stuff here, okay? Um, and following tips, and ever since going back to the O.J. case, the sensationalism of the O.J. case, which causes the public to respond and following leads, we're kind of like, you know, we're at, uh, you know, um, a point where people call stuff in, and we follow up on it uh, regardless of what it is, because in the courts, people will say, well, you know, 45 phone calls come in, you followed up one or two of them. Why didn't you do them all? And I can tell you is that there's a strong likeliness to uh, one of the photographs in the surveillance photos, such as yourself. Um, so I was just maybe hoping that you had some explanation. Say, if I gave you a date uh, um, a couple of weeks ago, if you were to tell me there's a reason why
1: you were there and the person in the photograph was deemed to be you, then maybe you'd have a logical
5: explanation for being in that area. But you don't seem to call to mind. Uh, well,
6: I went out to eat at the Cheesecake Factory the last, maybe a couple of weeks ago.
5: Which is right there. Do you yeah. remember Do you remember the day that might have been? Although I, don't, I, don't, I don't remember, remember the day. And, and I understand, because sometimes I don't even know that you know what day of the week it is, what date it is now. But as far as the you know going out to a restaurant, people might say, well, I like it there on Wednesday nights because they have a good special. Uh, do you
6: happen to remember? No, I don't, I don't go out to eat much. And I went out with I, Megan and a couple of friends. And uh, we go shopping you, there sometimes, the Prudential Center. All right.
5: when you say, was that a couple of weeks ago? I don't remember when it was. I don't remember the day or anything. Like I can imagine a BU. Might student, have
6: been two weeks ago, three weeks ago. A BU medical
5: student, if you're just, you know, maybe a Monday night is a night that you hit the books hard. A Tuesday night, maybe you do the books in the gym. Maybe a Wednesday, you're a little bit more available to, to uh, you know, to get something. It doesn't ring a bell. Either. I don't
6: remember when it was. It was probably a few weeks ago.
0: The officer tells him there's actually a couple different images from a few different hotels, all bearing a strong likeness to him. Have you ever heard of the Westin Hotel? Uh, I think I've heard of it. I think my brother stayed there a while ago, Philip tells them. He won't give a straight answer. I guess. I don't know. I don't remember. He says he has been at the Marriott Hotel. There's a sports bar there. But he doesn't remember if he was there in the last week or so. Philip, who is a straight-A student on his way to becoming a doctor, is taking his aloof attitude too far. They start listing the dates back from today, trying to jog his memory. The 19th, he didn't do anything. The 18th, he went out for dinner with Megan. He doesn't remember the 17th, the 16th, etc. The officer implies that he's probably got a pretty hectic schedule dealing with classes, most likely a bit of a routine. Philip doesn't bite.
5: So no specific memory, huh? I don't really remember. No. Um, there's a couple of different locations in the last few weeks, a couple of different hotels, with this image and like- likeliness Tall, white guy, good-looking kid, same color hair, same frame, same structure um, as yourself uh, in some of these photographs. And uh, you know, just as far as justifying why you're there, uh, um, we're looking for some help so we can you know move forward. But you can't bring to mind any specific. Like, are you familiar with they say the Westin Hotel?
6: Which one, the Westin? Westin?
5: Yeah, the Westin. W. I think S- I've heard of
6: that. I think my brother stayed there. Do you know when he may have stayed there? Oh, it was it was a while ago, maybe was a year ago. or so. Was there any
5: reason or anything at all to cause you to have been there in the last couple of weeks?
6: I mean, maybe if I was walking through it.
5: Yeah. Well, well, can you call something to mind, Philip? What would have brought you in there to walk through it? I mean, I, no I'm, no not, I'm not sure. You can no, place the Western Can you picture the western now? Can you picture where it is? You know, the It's it's when like
6: it's next to the Prudential Center, isn't it?
5: Yes. Well, if you're looking at the Financial Center and the Cheesecake, say if you walked up Punnington Ave on the outside, the left, the Cheesecake is on the left-hand side, and then moving forward straight inbound, the West End would be up on your right-hand side. Can you picture
6: it? I guess. It sounds familiar. No. Yeah. I think it connects to the Financial Center.
5: Yeah, well, there's is. Because I, I, I think when my brother
6: was staying there, I walked back and forth. I think foot, it's a connection.
5: Over the footbridge?
6: I guess. Yeah. I, don't, I don't really yeah. remember. Yeah, but you have no clear memory of being there in the last couple of weeks. I don't, I don't remember. No, no clear memory. No, right. Now, there's sure. another hotel down moving closer to the Cheesecake Factory, the Marriott. Okay. Can you picture that at all? Yeah, I've eaten at the bar there.
5: Oh, the bar? Which name of that place? Uh,
6: It's a sports bar. Okay. I watched the, a Red Sox playoff game with Young Man and Pizza.
5: A playoff game, so last year, was that the last time you were there?
6: At the bar? Yeah. I think so, I'm not sure.
5: I mean, could you have been there in the last week or two? It's possible. I don't remember. I don't You're think I... I was not a, a Champions.
6: Okay. I think it was Champions. A is Champions the name in the, the, the sports are? Yeah. I mean, you were pretty shocked, I went there with it a couple of times.
5: You were a pretty shocked, kid, unless it's true the way it is on TV with medical students and stuff. You just flat out... I mean, it's only been a week or two. You don't have a memory of being there in the last week or so?
6: And no, I haven't really done anything last week.
5: Okay, so moving away from today, the 19th, 18th, 17th, 16th, 15th, 14th? Oh, that doesn't
6: really help me. It doesn't help you? No, I'm not.
5: You're just trying to jog your memory at all. Uh, tell me this, were you at a bar yesterday at a hotel? The 19th? At a hotel? Yeah. No. Alright. You were at a bar, but not a hotel.
6: Yesterday? Yeah. I don't think I did anything yesterday. Okay. Megan came home. So. I, and again, I'm just trying to help you. I was with Megan last And time. just looking
5: for an understanding as to the way these tips are coming in. and you know, if people think that it's you or it could be you. Because of your likeness to these photographs. Okay. It's just trying to help chart your memory, so to speak. Yesterday is off. You didn't do anything yesterday. yesterday no, I was with
6: Megan. 18th. Uh, well, I went out with Megan. All right. Do you remember where you may have gone? Yeah, we went to... It was off 24. Route 24. Off? Route, Next to the Olive Garden.
5: Off Route 24. In Braintree?
6: No, no. In Stoughton. Stoughton. I don't Bar- get it's a barbecue place. It's a, it was a chain. Okay, I don't get I was too garbage. much.
5: Right, I don't get out too much either, obviously. Alright, move away from the 18th. Go the day before that, the 17th.
6: I don't really remember what I was doing. 16th. Any hotels, bars? Where? I like
5: anywhere. It. Anywhere. I mean, I'm just trying to really help you I don't remember. You remember. I don't really... Doesn't help. No, I don't think I. I? 15th, 14th. A couple of weeks. Nothing.
0: They keep saying to him, it's really strange that he doesn't seem to think he was in these places, and if he was, he doesn't remember why. Given the fact that the likeness in these photographs is so similar, it's just really strange. But again, Phil isn't phased. He doesn't even ask to see the photographs they keep mentioning, because he knows exactly what he'll see, a face he assumed nobody would ever report. They talk a bit about Foxwoods, his gambling habits, but Philip doesn't have much to say. What's going through your mind? The detective asks. Sometimes it's best to just be straightforward when someone isn't expressing a single concern or emotion at all. And then they flip the script, telling him that investigations are just as much about finding out who did it as they are proving who didn't do it. Maybe this is already a little too much heat and they need to cool it down a bit to get him talking. If he'll play the let's clear me as a suspect game, they can get him on that angle just as easily as if he was to stay on the defensive. At the end of the day, they remind him. They just want him to explain his side of the story. Mistakes happen. Accidents happen. They lend into this idea that if you can explain why you did something, then you can just explain it away. But the thing is, Philip is already having trouble keeping up with his lies and what he has and hasn't answered. I mean, if you could just explain why you're walking around these hotel lobbies, that would really clear things up. Didn't I already answer that? Philip asks. Do you gamble a lot? I don't know. I
6: don't know where the lot is. Yeah. I go down there once in a while. I wouldn't say a lot. Once a week? Once a... Maybe a couple of days, once a month? It varies. Yeah.
5: And do you oftentimes stay there or you get... what do they I call stay it? there sometimes, yeah. yeah. What do they call it, the, the rooms there, um, Comp rooms or something?
6: Well, I, don't, I really don't get comp rooms. i will get like a discount room. Uh, so a lot of times if I go down there, I'll like inquire about a room to see if they have any left.
5: What uh, What goes through your mind as, I, as I'm asking all these questions? I know you're a pretty bright kid. What goes through your mind? I know you're trying to. You said that you, you know, you understand what's happening. You're trying to figure out what's going on. What's going through your mind? Do you have an understanding of what this is all about?
6: Yeah, I understand what you're telling. Do you me. understand? Yeah, I, I okay. think I can understand. You know,
5: we're following up on stuff. And, and you know, in this homicide business and in these serious investigations, robbery, um, 99% of the time, investigators we spend trying to prove who did
7: not commit the crime, as opposed to who did do the crime. You follow me? Mm Mm-hmm.
5: And and that's where we spend an awful lot of our work. We have to cross our T's and dot our I's, And and especially in a case like this where you reach out to the public and ask for help, it makes things a lot uh, more tedious for us. And as you sit there, and somebody who's a person of interest because of the images and the likenesses on the the, uh, surveillance footages, it kind of makes our job that much more difficult, you know? And uh, we appreciate your cooperation. Uh, But it's serious business. It's serious business. And I can tell you this, and as I've said homicide a couple of times, clearly you must think that it involves a murder. I've also mentioned the word robbery, and it involves a robbery. And sometimes, Philip, um, when things happen, um, it's a pretty ugly situation. We don't mean them to happen. Um, You know, They may happen accidentally, but as kids, when we do something stupid or we start to, to get out of road we should we get some advice that, you know, the time, if, if some shit happens and it's ugly, it's, it's, it only makes things worse if you lie about it. Um, so if you're afforded an opportunity to just be truthful and explain, attempt to explain your side of the story, so to speak, it just makes things a lot easier, uh, you know, moving forward. In, 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 especially when you have complicated situations, when there's lies attached to it, it just kind of makes things uh, really, uh, you know, that much more complicated. Uh, and, and, it, and it's difficult. It's difficult to, to, to rationalize, you know, why things happened. You know, um, and again, that's why it's kind of like for me to try and ask you to remember if you're in a hotel. Myself now in a limited capacity, and you know, so much money. If I was at a hotel, that'd be something that. Yeah, sure. I remember that. I was down at the uh, the Marriott just three nights ago. I was with the, you know a hot looking girl. We had a couple of drinks, and I was trying to get a room or something. I mean, those are memories that we'd always have. Um, but to you, I mean, if you're going to Foxwoods all the time, maybe that's the explanation for why you can't call it to mind, uh, uh, for not being there. But then again, if you're willing to work with me and try to try to uh, you know figure out if you were there, that might explain why we're sitting here today. But if you sit there and you just have no absolute positively no memory of being there, um, it just it just doesn't help things, you know.
6: Well, I said I have no specific memory. I might have walked through there. Yeah, but that's what I mean. I mean, like there. I walk through there often. I don't I don't know specifically though.
5: Right, so is there a possibility that you walked through there in the last couple of weeks? Yeah, I said that. Okay, but but and, and I know you said that. I know you said that. But there should be a little bit more to it though. What would cause you to walk through, say, the... Uh, Oh, the lobby of the Marriott, just to see what's happening there, to see what's going on in the bar, or... Did
6: man, they already answer
5: that? No, not really. Not really. Just a casual stroll through
6: there. Aren't they all... Don't you have to walk through, like, no, all the hotel lobbies no. to get to places? No, not don't necessarily. Don't they all cut through? That's with my understanding of how the country's No, no not necessarily. I mean, the
5: mall... And, and again, I don't well, I'm,
6: rather, not, I'm not really sure, then. I don't know the mall. Though. Okay. Right.
0: The detectives dive right in. Do you ever have anything to do with Craigslist? Do you go on there to buy things or post things? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe when I was searching for my old apartment. The officer doesn't hear Phil because he's speaking so low. And when he asks him to repeat himself, you can hear how dry his mouth and throat are. No doubt his anxiety is a speedway in his stomach. By now, he's probably realizing they have more than just a couple photos resembling him. They ask him about his personal information, address, phone number, email addresses. He has a couple. Personal, school, a throwaway that he uses for online poker. That's about it, he thinks. Beneath what Philip may think is unaffected and monotone is a slight defensiveness, a snap of his patience and arrogance. No, I just said, my dad uses that one, he says in response to a question about an old email. He doesn't have a problem correcting things that don't matter at all or making their questions sound silly and baseless. After a few more noncommittal answers, the detectives remind him that it would be easier if he just worked with them a little bit, since all they want to do is clear all of this up. Philip says, I'm trying to, but then follows up the next three questions with, I don't know, I'm not sure, and I don't remember. It's estimated that medical students have to memorize almost 10 times more educational content than the average college student in another field. This includes more than 30,000 new terms and definitions, sometimes learning up to 10 new words a day. But Philip doesn't remember. Philip's interrogation isn't as seamless as Megan's interview. He's closed off, and even with open-ended questions, he manages to say very, very little. And at this point, it's best to just be outright with questioning. Because after 30 minutes, all that's clear is Philip isn't going to fess up to anything unless he has to. So let's talk about Craigslist, the detective says. But of course, Philip doesn't remember the last time he was on Craigslist. They ask if he's had any problems with females lately. They let him know that some women have been assaulted, but he plays dumb. They ask him a few times, trying to get him to say anything that will place him at the scene, but he gives them nothing to work with. I just said no four times, Philip reminds them. And he's getting annoyed, being asked the same questions over and over in different ways with different details. But he set this up for himself, acting like he has no clue, no memory, and no idea what's going on. The detectives take another genius angle, reminding him that just because it's him in the photographs doesn't mean anything. Or maybe he is a suspect and there's a story to be told. Obviously, Philip chose these women for a reason. And if he thinks that the police don't find them to be as valuable or believable as other victims, the detective is willing to feed into that. In order to get him talking, it's time to give Philip an excuse and a way out of this. I had
6: a hotmail one. A hot, what was that one? I just said it was my dad uses it. I don't think okay. That.
5: Is that the same thing as life? Hotmail? Is
6: it? I don't, yeah. I don't
5: know. I don't know. I'm not uh, that familiar with that stuff myself. Do you think it
6: is? I'm not Hotmail sure. Hotmail is two
5: different service aren't they? Two different well, Windows
6: products. Windows owns Hotmail. It's Microsoft Windows Hotmail.
5: Okay. Gambling. You like to gamble it sounds like. Pinochle, poker,
6: internet. Well, Pinochle's not gambling. It's not? Well, I've never gambled. I didn't know you could gamble with Pinochle. News I guess you can gamble with anything if
5: you want to, so, I don't know. Um, let's talk about Craigslist. When was the last time you were on Craigslist?
6: I do not remember.
5: You do not remember. I mean, again, can we do
6: that? Was I on it two weeks ago, a month ago? I don't remember. Could you have been? I mean, that's the next question. I guess, yeah.
5: You know, a lot of times, Philip, and you get a beer with me and it might sound stupid, but you know, a lot of times we know the answers to the questions. But it's just, it's affording you an opportunity to, you know, be completely forthright with me and just in the interest of helping to get this done. Okay. Helping to clear your name or to, you know, as I said, we spend an awful lot of time trying to prove we did not commit the crime. You know? So if you could work with me a little
6: bit. I'm trying to. I know you are. So
5: let me ask you that once. When do you think was the last time you may have...
6: I don't know. All
5: right. You have no idea. I don't know. Does that indicate that it's been that long? They that just don't have a memory of it or
6: I'm not sure what that indicates, I don't.
5: Okay. So if I was
6: asked to you, were you on it this morning?
5: That would be a no.
6: I was not on it this morning. All right. What about yesterday? I don't know. Right. I don't remember. Okay. All
5: right. So as far as that goes, now have you had any problems that you know um, with some females lately in any of the in any situation. No. Part of this investigation involves some women who have been assaulted, and that's what caused the police to respond. That's what caused us to you know post some photographs looking for help because it all started in some rooms. Now, being familiar with the courts. How old were you when you worked in the courts?
6: It wasn't really the courts. It was a local thing.
5: But I mean, you have some understanding, and clearly you're a bright kid. In order to have the police involved, nine out of ten times you have a victim that makes a phone call. And then the investigation starts, and then witnesses give some direction. And that causes the police to do stuff. And in some instances, such as this, is asked for help with posting photographs looking for some identification. Is there anything along those lines where... And I know you don't have a specific memory. Is there anything where you may have encountered a female in a hotel room and things may have gone awry? No. She would have been pissed off at you to call the police? And again, keep in mind, just something, some food for thought, Philip. is sometimes um, girls call the police if they feel they've been slighted and, and you know, they may make stuff up um, to complain about something. And that's when I go back to what I said sometime a little earlier, is there's always two sides to a story. And when you're afforded an opportunity to, to provide your version, that might explain things. But until we have all the pieces of the puzzle, we're kind of left with you know me trying to, as if I'm a dentist, trying to pull teeth or, uh, and getting some information from you and attempting to jog your memory. Do we have any specific memory or having a hassle with the girl, no. you, may have, you may have left, uh, and she was pissed off to the point where she may have wanted to call the police? No. Can you recall anything? Like
6: that? I just answered that four times.
5: Okay, four times. You're right. You're right. And again, just be patient with me. It's it's not easy when, you know, the way we're dealing with this, okay? Are you patient? All right. So no specific memory, no hassles with any girls whatsoever, not in the Western Hotel? The Marriott Hotel, no problems? No problems? What does that
6: mean? I already answered this. Okay, and again, I just because Four the tape times. doesn't pick it that
5: up, that's why I asked it once again. Um, we're kind of at a loss here because you have absolutely no clue, according to you, about uh, what's been going on in and around the city of Boston regarding women who've been assaulted. Correct? No clue? Yeah, I haven't been. No clue. Never seen anything in the paper? No,
6: that's that's true. That's true. Correct. Never seen anything in the
5: paper. Never seen anything in the news in the last couple of days. No, minutes. I really don't watch the videos. You? Girlfriend them. would not have brought it to your attention. Jeez, look at this. I just saw, you know. The no, I don't
6: really watch the book in there. So no
5: conversations with, anything. with anybody in your circle of travel no. that may have mentioned as to what's going on here, right? Um... What about outside the city of Boston? Any any hotels other than Foxwoods that you may have visited lately? Not other
6: than Foxwoods.
5: Not other than Foxwoods. Have you been in Rhode Island at all lately?
6: Well, I go through Rhode Island. Get to Foxwoods. Okay,
5: do you stop? Have you stopped going through Rhode Island at a hotel at all?
6: Maybe to get gas.
5: Okay, at a hotel?
6: At a hotel? Yeah. You wouldn't get gas at a hotel. Well, that's what I asked. Have you stopped? I don't think so. On no. the way through? You don't think so? You don't think you're at a
5: hotel in Rhode Island? I don't think so. Okay, you seem to be getting a little frustrated. Yeah, you. because they keep asking me the same question. Well, I moved on from the Western and I moved on from the Marriott, and now I'm in the state of Rhode Island, you say that you go to Foxwoods all the time, and I'm just asking if maybe you stopped into a hotel in Rhode Island. Maybe, I don't know. Okay. Um, what do you think? What do you think? Where do you think I'm going with all this? I don't know. What are your thoughts? Talk to me for a minute. Instead of answering all the questions, tell me what your thoughts are. Tell me what you feel right now. Because you seem to be getting a little frustrated with me. And I can understand. I can understand where you're coming from. But, fellow, let me say this to you, okay? If, in fact, you are the guy in the photographs, that's one thing. Because you could just be simply that guy passing through the hotel, passing through the lobby, somebody that's out with your girlfriend at the Cheesecake Factory, walking through, going to a parking lot to get in your car to go home could be that simple. But it also could be the guy who just left a hotel room where something went awry, and you're leaving there, and you are a suspect who has a story to be told. Whatever happened in the hotel room, that speaks to a certain set of facts. If you happen to be the guy that's leaving that hotel room, and is picked up on surveillance cameras, you may have another piece of that story. And you could just throw that on the table right now, and that may explain things. Or you could be, as we said, just simply that guy passing through. But is it more than a coincidence if you're that guy who just happened to pass through a Weston? And again, maybe that same guy who passes through a Marriott? The same guy who maybe passes through a hotel in, in, in Warwick? It could be. It could be, because it seems that maybe these are things you do, but it could also be more than that. And it could be something that, you know, who knows what happens. Maybe some girls are pissed at you. Maybe whatever's going on, whatever your thing is, maybe, you know, who knows, who knows, unless you throw it out there, if that's you, the guy that's actually been in some of those rooms with some of these females, and maybe they, uh, you know, are trying to set you up or something. Who knows, unless you tell us. I clearly don't know, because I wasn't there. But if you say you're simply the guy that may have passed through, you don't even have a clear memory to be able to tell me that. you
0: know? The detective rambles on for a few minutes, throwing some more tactics at him. He tries appealing to any pride, any empathy, any desperation, or any victimhood in Philip he can find. Do you just have a thing where you hook up with girls and don't want Megan to know about it? I mean, hey, over the years, we've seen that a lot of times. The thing to do is just explain and just be honest. Let's not keep dancing around the truth. The best thing to do when the shit hits the fan is just to man up. But Philip just sighs with frustration.
5: We can't have back what happened, but we can make it right. And how do we make it right? Just by being honest. Just by being honest. When we start dancing around the truth, that's why things get all kind of discombobulated. And you kind of look at me, you get frustrated. Hey, I answered that already. And that's what happens when you're dancing around the truth. I think you know. I think you know that you may have been in some of these places. I think you know that. But you're just not clear as to how you want to tell me. You know? And the best thing to do when the shit hits the fan, as I said earlier also, is just to man up. Look, at this, is hap- this is what happened, but this is why it happened. It's not who I am. I didn't do those things. This is what actually happened. This is my story. I'm not a stupid little shit. I know what happened and I know why it happened. And I can make it right by just being honest. That honesty is the key to, you know, just move forward and it opens up all those different doors when you're honest with yourself. And it actually, the honesty is what explains our behavior. Without honesty, one-sided stories can be pretty ugly. Can be real ugly. Because all we have is... The evidence at the scene, and that scene can be ugly, and can speak to, it can speak to ugliness. without this answer over here, you follow me? Again, you just nod and uh, The tape doesn't pick that up. I'm sorry.
6: Sure, I'm following you.
5: You're following me. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, yes, left to our If we time. have, if we have an incident in the in the Western Hotel, and some girl is there and she's irate and she's pissed because of this and because of that, that's her version. And the same if you move on to the next girl, into the next girl. But there was somebody else that was there, some person that left, some person that's walking through the lobby afterwards, who has a story to be told. And don't, if you are that person, I can tell you now's the time to just be completely forthright and give you a version. Because left untold, it doesn't look good. You know? If we that evidence has to speak for itself, that speaks to, 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 to ugliness. You know, it's not easy, Philip. And things happen, stuff happens, but we can make it right. Fall back to when we, you know, brought up little lies turn into to, to big lies, and big lies turns into you know big bags of, 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 of shit, so to speak. You know, but if we Step up, speak from the heart. Hey, okay,
7: listen. Nobody ever meant for things to go the way they went. But this is
5: what happened. Maybe 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 it was an accident. Maybe it was maybe you were provoked, or maybe, you know, things things got ugly and you were a victim here at some point. You know? But who knows unless you speak up, Philip. Who knows? Who will ever know? Right now we're left with one side of the table. One set of facts. I'm just uh, asking you, Philip, if you, you know, can find it in yourself to to man up and step up if that's you, that's beyond that casual stroll through the hotel to speak to it, to speak to what might have happened, what might have went wrong, because it's happening. It's happening, and I think uh, you deserve it to yourself just to step up and, and lay it on the table. You know. It is what it is.
0: The detective asks him again, straight out, if he has anything to do with the robberies and murder. The way Philip denies tying up and robbing somebody is so devoid of emotion. He doesn't know the correct emotion to mirror in this situation. But monotone annoyance, isn't it? If someone is accusing you of robbing or killing someone and you didn't do it, you might have a feeling or two about it. This story doesn't apply to me, he tells the detective. This is why I wish I had a lawyer here, because I could just be nodding along and I don't even know what you mean. Philip implies that they're being tricky with their questioning, and he's starting to get nervous that he could be fooled into agreeing with something he doesn't even understand. He plays victim, acting as if he's been questioned over and over for hours, but this isn't the case. And Philip thinks as long as he doesn't admit to anything, he's going to leave this room and walk right back into his life. But there's no wiggle room here. It's been 48 minutes, and judging from how many times he's been encouraged to man up and do the right thing, the detectives are about done pulling at the wrist for more from him. Philip's silence has done as much for them as his talking would have. If he won't provide an alibi, a reason, or a defense, they'll just go with what they already have.
5: I'm going to ask you, Philip, the first incident that I spoke to in the Western Hotel, a girl was robbed. Did you have anything to do with that?
6: No. No. Philip? Why? Well, I just answered you.
5: There was a girl in a hotel room that was tied up and robbed in the western. That's her story. Were you in that room that night? I didn't tie up and rob any. You didn't tie up or rob anybody. Could you have been in that room and maybe somebody else did? No. No? Is there any... Do you have an understanding of what it is I'm talking about to you when I'm asking you just to, to, to step up and, and, and... I'm
6: listening to what you're saying. It doesn't really apply to me. No? Okay. In, you're in, just, like, telling a, me a story. I don't...
5: Oh, I'm telling you a story. I don't have
6: anything to add to it.
5: Okay, well, I'm telling you a story. as if that, right now, in this story, your role in this story is you're the casual stroller.
6: Maybe. Well, I don't... I'm not in this story. I don't know.
5: Well, you, well, you are in the sense that you're sitting here as the story unfolded prior to your arriving here, your role in the story is that of, maybe, somebody who passed through the hotel lobby. That's your role, correct? That's
6: maybe. I, I don't know how to answer that. Yeah, and it is, and again,
5: it's only a scenario that I'm applying to this story as it's unfolding here, and I'm asking that if you're the guy that was more, of the, more than the casual stroller, that may have been up in the room somehow, some way, some shape or form, Enticed into a room and something got ugly. Maybe you have an, an explanation as to what might have happened up
6: there. I don't really know what you're talking about, and okay. I could—I mean, this is why I wish I had a lawyer here. I could, I could just be like nodding along and agreeing to something that you're saying. And, and that's fine. That, I don't again, really mean that—that that didn't happen.
5: And again, Philip, you're alluding to a lawyer, and we need to, uh, you know, expound upon that. You—if you want a lawyer, we are stopping this interview right now because that's one of your rights. Okay? That's a right that you have. If you are that unsure of proceeding without... Well, the way,
6: you're, the way you're phrasing things, it seems like I could just be nodding or saying yes, and the way you're questioning me, I could be agreeing to anything. By oh, saying yes or no, I don't really...
7: Well, that's really, why I
6: wish someone was here to like tell me that I'm... And, by nodding my head or something, I'm agreeing to something you're saying. No, and that's fine. And, and, you know, the that's line, why I wish I um, had so one. Bottom, I don't really know who to call for a lawyer. Well, that's fine. You know what? We're going to
5: stop this interview because you want an attorney. That's your choice if you want an attorney. Correct.
6: Uh, yes. If you're just going to keep asking me the same questions over and over. Okay.
5: And again, it's just so you're clear. As far as you're nodding and agreeing to anything, you know what's going on. You're not agreeing or nodding to anything that you don't want to. You've understood the question so far. You've alluded to having an, uh, an attorney present. So we're going to give you that.
7: Okay.
6: Can you get me one? Will, will this, fo- on like this? this is going to keep going on like this? This is going to keep going on like this. No, you but it's your one? choice. You
5: you can. We can make some calls right now. If you would like an attorney to come and, and counsel with you this afternoon and then continue this, that's all right. We can do that. We can do that.
0: Through the entire charge process, Philip maintained his innocence. But there was already a hefty stack of evidence against him, and he knew it, because he did it. Within days, police would place their own ad on Craigslist, asking for possible witnesses or other victims to come forward. Were you attacked or robbed at a Boston-area hotel after placing an ad on Craigslist? If so, you may have information that could aid the investigation into the armed robbery of a woman at the Weston Hotel and the April 14th murder of a woman at the Marriott Hotel. Both victims were attacked by a prospective client who had contacted them through ads placed on Craigslist. On May 4th, Cynthia contacted the authorities about her attack, and Rhode Island police issued an arrest warrant for Philip, although that would be dealt with after the Boston charges. Being able to connect the three crimes was effortless. By June, Philip was arraigned, still swearing that they had the wrong guy. But the prosecution already had the surveillance footage images, along with duct tape, stolen underwear, zip ties, and the gun hidden in the textbook from a search of his apartment. The stash of unused bullets he had matched the ones lodged in Jalissa's body. There would be multiple pay-per-use phones and 45 $100 bills. This was only scratching the surface at what would come later, including results from forensic testing— And if Philip was hoping that Andrew Miller would take the fall for the gun purchase, he'd be wrong. Police quickly cleared him of any connection to any of the crimes. And at the time of Jalissa's murder, he was in Texas for Air Force basic training. A grand jury indicted Philip on seven counts, including armed robbery and first-degree murder. Defendants held on major felony charges don't often see a chance at bail. Loved ones would stand by in disbelief, watching Philip be towed away in handcuffs and a preppy button-up shirt— Feeling powerless, they would set up a Facebook group called Phil Markoff is Innocent Until Proven Guilty to rally, support, and remind everyone that he was strictly a suspect who deserved his fair day in court.
8: The grand is of Suffolk County on docket number 0910479, defense 001 Turned the indictment of murder in the first degree, Commonwealth of Massachusetts, Suffolk SS. At the Superior Court Department of the Trial Court for criminal business begun in holding in the city of Boston, within and for the county of Suffolk, on the first Monday of June in the year of our law in 2009. The jurors for the Commonwealth of Massachusetts on the road present that Philip Markoff, on April 14, 2009, did assault and beat one Julissa Brisman with intent to murder her. And by such assault and beating, did kill and murder Julissa Brisman. How do you plead to this indictment, sir? Not guilty. Furthermore, sir, at this time here, the grand jurors of Suffolk County returned further six more indictments against you. Do you waive the formal reading of these six indictments, sir? Yes. On docket number 0910479, offense 002, Johnnywood armed kidnapping. Offense 003, with armed assault or rob, Offense 004, possession of firearm, at home, work, no license. Offense 005, robbery armed. Offense 006, armed kidnapping. And offense 007, possession of firearm, at home, work, no license. How do you plead to these six indictments, sir? Not guilty. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
0: When it came to legal representation, the unemployed student would get no help from his parents and instead be appointed criminal defense attorney John Salzberg. And Salzberg wasn't to be underestimated, already familiar with high-profile cases and a long list of successful wins for his clients' charges, everything from robbery, sex crimes under the influence, and even murder. With over 25 years of part-time clinical instruction at Harvard Law School, he'd been asked it all, seen it all, thought about it all, hypothesized it all, and then some. Philip knew he needed a miracle. And safe to say, he was in good hands. Megan did her best to stand by him. Even though she was physically hiding away back home in New Jersey, she wouldn't shy away from supporting her fiancé to the public. In an email to Good Morning America, just days after his arrest, she wrote, I will stand by Philip as I know he is innocent. I love him and I always will. All I have to say to you is Philip is a beautiful person, inside and out, and could not hurt a fly. She told People Magazine that he was clearly being set up and someone else was out there who needed to be charged. And she told ABC News in another email, Philip is an intelligent man who's just trying to live his life, so if you could leave us alone, we would greatly appreciate it. We expect to marry in August and share a wonderful, meaningful life together. Outside the home, her father would speak to the reporters on her behalf, two days after the arrest.
1: Still confident in Phil, but uh, other than that, uh, we're saying a lot of prayers.
0: To say she was hounded by the media is an understatement. Reporters seemed more interested in whether or not Megan would continue to believe in Philip's innocence and demanded an explanation for something so crazy. Clearly he was guilty, and she needed to reconcile her fantasy life with the reality of what it truly was. Instead of focusing on how well Philip lied, she was attacked for believing his lies. Instead of focusing on how hard he worked to make himself seem like the last person who would ever do such a thing, she was attacked for wanting time to decide what was true. It was so stressful for her that she eventually hired her own lawyer, just so the family could get some breathing space between themselves and the media. Plus, the last thing she needed was to say too much again. This was also a level of legal protection as well. Megan and her family would most likely all be called to testify, or in the least, be involved in this ugly process. But it seems that by the time she visited him in jail on April 29th, Megan had a change of heart. Accompanied by her attorney, she told Philip that the wedding was off. It wasn't necessarily a breakup, but how could they possibly keep planning a wedding when it was clear that this wasn't going to be over anytime soon? After the emotional 25-minute conversation, a chic Megan dressed all in black with oversized sunglasses and no engagement ring, left clutching her mother's hand as the paparazzi snapped away. Her attorney would pacify the media, telling them that she still believes in his innocence, but it's also time for reality. It was clear that behind the scenes, Megan was dealing with a huge amount of heartbreak and confusion, and also pressure from a sudden overnight audience that demanded answers from her.
4: They had a candid, frank discussion. I think she feels uh, good about coming up and seeing him, but now it's time to move on uh, with other things in her life. there been no break-off of the engagement. What she did is she uh, had a number of things to accomplish up here in Boston over the last couple of days, and one of them was to go visit her fiancé at the jail. She went to the jail with her mother. She met with him for 25 minutes. Uh, Obviously, that conversation was just between her and uh, her fiancé. When she uh, came down from that conversation, she was uh, emotional, obviously. Uh, And uh, she also uh, realizes that uh, he faces serious charges. And there's a point where he has to face those charges through the criminal justice system and and uh, she has to move on with the things that she also has planned other than their wedding in her life and that's what she's going to do right right now the uh... The, the august that's the wedding that's been planned is is obviously off there's no plans to reschedule any wedding it's being dismantled those familiar with weddings it takes a little bit to put it together and it takes a little bit to to take them apart and that's being done at this point quite frankly the charges that uh... She, that he faces uh, makes it unlikely that the, it will be rescheduled. Obviously, she's still supporting him. She still believes in him. She believes in the person that she knows and, and, and loves. And the person described in the media and by authorities is not that person. Uh, obviously, she realizes that, uh, uh, with the serious charges, that his fate should rest in the, the criminal justice system. Everyone is innocent until proven guilty.
0: Within a week, she'd visit Philip for a final time. More information was coming out every single day, and she was going to medical school in the fall. This wasn't something that could take up her time or attention. As much as she wanted to believe in what he said, it was clear that their entire relationship was so full of lies she couldn't rectify any single part of it. He was devastated when she told him that she didn't know when she'd see him again, if ever. And with that, Philip watched the last thing he was holding on to walk out of his life. He no longer had anyone else he could still fool, He didn't care about how much this had hurt Megan, or how much she was suffering. He needed her to continue to play the shiniest role in his performative life. As someone who had mastered controlling people like chess pieces, Philip began to spiral. Every single brick in his make-believe castle was falling down, and there was nothing he could do. Three days after he was arrested for murder, Philip attempted to take his own life, tying a pair of shoelaces around his neck. After that, he would be repeatedly put on and taken off suicide watch during his time at the maximum security Nashua Street Jail. On April 30th, the day after Megan had apparently called off the wedding, Philip would try again, this time with sharpened spoons he'd been hiding in his cell. The serrated edges made a mess of his wrists, but he survived. On August 14th, what would have been his wedding day, he attempted to overdose on medication he'd been stashing. Whether Philip gained some sense of hope or was just unable to sneak away more tactics under extremely watchful security, he'd cool it with the major suicide attempts for a while. At first, the trial was set to be less than a year away. An amount of time, he was eventually determined to survive. But that date would be postponed at least 10 different times, eventually delaying it until October 2011. In the meantime, his lawyer was working on a motion to suppress comments he'd made to the police after his arrest. But it seemed far-fetched. Detectives already had so much on him before they even made that arrest. On the morning of August fifteenth, two 2010, one year and a day after his cancelled wedding, Philip would be found dead from suicide. Using a pen and a piece of metal for a makeshift knife, he cut major arteries in his legs, ankles, and neck. He wrote Megan's name and pocket above the doorway in his cell, placed where only he could see it while he stuffed toilet paper in his mouth and taped a plastic bag over his head with some gauze he'd saved. Photographs of them were scattered all over the table near him. There was blood everywhere, slowly blending into the dark cement. Using the last of his energy to pull the blanket over his body, he'd evade the concern of guards until several checks later, when they finally noticed he hadn't moved at all. Shocking and selfish, Philip took an exit that disappointed many, but surprised no one. Maybe the thought of waiting out the expiration of his final sense of any control in life was too much for Philip. He wasn't worried about the damage he had caused. He was mourning the self-destruction of his perfect life. It had all burned down like a paper castle in the matter of a week. There would be no day in court or real justice for the victims. Even without the hefty weight of the security footage and emails, the evidence against Philip would have made it an open and shut case of guilt. The ballistics matched the gun they found in his apartment, His fingerprints matched the ones left on the duct tape, and Jalissa's blood had been found on the very shoes he was wearing when he was arrested. There wasn't a shred of doubt that Philip had murdered Jalissa, and he would have never seen freedom again. There's a well-known image of Philip taken during his 2007 annual White Coat Day ceremony at the Boston University School of Medicine. He's smiling big and standing tall, holding his arms out while a doctor puts the jacket on him. Looking back, a lot of people who knew him during his most ambitious years remember him coming across as arrogant and self-important, and indeed those were major elements at play as well when he committed his crimes. Everything with Philip was grandiose and out of touch from reality, too full of an entitlement and fantastical way of thinking that everything would work out for him because he commanded it to. Unlike what we would expect from someone about to become a doctor, he displayed a cold ability to exploit the vulnerable, to take advantage of situations for his own personal and financial gain, and appeared to have absolutely no empathy or remorse for what he'd done, not even for things going too far. In this case, there's sometimes a lot of focus on internet searches and connections that are mostly based upon rumor or exaggeration, Things like Philip going to gay clubs, looking to specifically meet up with those who identified as transsexual, and often there is some sort of escalation after a slow simmer of predicting factors, but there's also no solid proof to show if this was really the exact timeline of how Philip reached a boiling point. There's definitely a possibility that Philip got some sort of sexual rush from being in power over a woman, but his transactions were never about the erotic massages or sexual favors. When he entered the hotel rooms, he immediately took control to carry out a robbery and leave. Philip Markov seemed generally exploitative in nature, regardless of the context. If he wanted something in life that didn't have to be earned, he just took it in whatever way necessary. As long as he could maintain control and keep certain people in the dark, he would have most likely used those manipulative and narcissistic tactics throughout his life. Inevitably, it may have always come to some sort of deadly end for a person so ruthless for their own selfish satisfaction. Megan had most likely dodged even worse bullets that would have been coming down the line. And out of all of his victims, she had the best opportunity to recover and move on. She was able to finish school and become a doctor, Philip's suicide was devastating, but also somewhat of a relief. The constant scrutiny of what felt like the entire country on her shoulders wasn't her judgment to hold, and with him gone, the media would finally stop focusing on Megan as if it was. His bloody ode left to her on the wall of his jail cell wasn't a love letter, but one final self-absorbed attempt of control over a woman he'd kept bordered in lies. He had destroyed her ability to trust another person for a long time, and robbed her as well, of a future she'd invested her whole heart into. But like many things in their relationship, that future had just been an idea. And as time would move on, it would fall away and form a new life, as she continued to pour herself into her career and find happiness again. Surprisingly, the erotic services section of Craigslist still continued its success, despite the controversy of those who can take advantage of such a system. But by September 2010, the adult services section was retired, and Canada would also follow suit by December. Eight years later, the Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act was signed into law. To avoid future litigation, Craigslist would do away with all personal ads. Any tool or service can be misused. We can't take such risks without jeopardizing all of our other services, the company explained. And this kind of deadly misuse has played out time and time again. From as early as the 1690s, personal ads have been used to connect strangers under the pretense that whatever they've said is the truth. Paper letters, Craigslist, Facebook, Tinder, any system made up of humans is a system vulnerable to the very flaws within our society. Julissa's mother, Carmen, would give statements through others, but was never able to speak about it herself. Having her daughter ripped away from her was a grief she could barely tolerate. Talking about it in that way felt like some nightmarish emotional autopsy. Philip destroyed my life and my family, but his suicide only ratified his cowardice when Relative told the media on her behalf. All she would have left were photographs and memories, along with Julissa's dog Coco that she would of course adopt. Carmen would also struggle with the vindictive nature of salacious headlines so far from the truth. They called Julissa a prostitute and a drug addict, dumping salt in the wound with no way for her family to correct the narrative. Yes, Jalissa hid the fact that she did erotic massages from her mother and had told her that the reason she was going out of town was for the tanning salon. But to Carmen and many people in that industry, labels matter and words matter. The nuances of differences between definitions are significant, especially when you're talking about victims of crime. Often contrasted in comparison to a promising and brilliant doctor, Jalissa would be cut down to her past mistakes and worst moments. And it's worth noting that she hated not telling her mother what she was actually doing, but she was really about to call it quits, with a few weeks left of her counseling course to go. She wouldn't be the first child to omit the truth to a parent to protect that innocent image only a parent can have. After her own battle with alcoholism, Jalissa just didn't want to help other people. She understandably was motivated to be seen for the new changes she was making, instead of just the blemishes in her past she was so desperately trying to disconnect herself from. She had put her mother through numerous hospitalizations, through some close calls, and big scares. But now, she was sober, in therapy, regularly going to AA meetings, and really unlocking her potential. And she knew it, too. A true-born, raised Manhattan hottie, finally getting a hold of this wonderful thing we call life, she'd written on her MySpace profile page. And even though both Philip and Jalissa were lying about a source of income, their motivations and methods were complete opposite. Where Philip Markov would fake and lie, rob and steal in every way that he could, Jalissa had always lived in a humble integrity, for better or worse. She too had found herself in a hole of her own digging, but had fought tooth and nail to pull herself out of it. Driven to help other young women like herself and paying her own way to do so, Jalissa was the brilliant and promising one in this story. You can have all the opportunities and chances and accolades in the world, but if you're empty inside, it means nothing. Philip's mirage of the American dream was always resting precariously on his ability to stifle that broken and entitled little boy inside who never grew up. Making his way in life on handouts, loans, and a hunger for admiration, Philip Markoff wasn't anything special. But there was a loss of true potential the night that he killed Jalissa Brisbane. After the hell and back she'd been through, she had learned the hard way that her life was worth fighting for. Philip's trail was sloppy, but it had been Jalissa's tenacity that was ultimately his final undoing. To remember him as impressive and intelligent would be to carry on the exact illusion he wanted people to buy into. He couldn't handle the confrontation of yet another failure, on top of a growing pile he'd carefully kept hidden. When the time for trial came, everyone would finally see that even on his best day, Philip's life paled in comparison to the determination and success of Jalissa. He wasn't better than his victims, he just pretended to be. And his death would be a bittersweet reminder of the unfairness of life, the pointless outcome to all his wasted progress, so much more haunting than just an unanswered why. It leaves behind an unraveling for a panic search to find meaning and reason somewhere. It becomes as still as silence and pauses like an ellipsis. Some pain always lingers like a ghost, simply to be remembered and hold the familiar shape of what belongs here, but never stays.